Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. On return by Caleb Downs, and he finds the seam. He makes the punter look silly. Caleb Downs, show him what you got. Touchdown, Bama. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Second and ten. Here's Howard stepping up in the pocket. Now flush to the right. Back of the end zone. Caught for a touchdown. Ben Sinek, the fullback. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. York feels the heat, floats it, jump ball, reeled in for a touchdown. Will Kazmarek with a sensational high point touchdown grab. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. They flip it on the end around to Bolden. Bolden gets to the edge. Touchdown, Oregon State. 365 Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Seven yards passing so far tonight. Climbs the pocket. Now looks to run. Ward for the end zone. He's in. Touchdown, Washington State. 11 yards, and Cam Ward is second rushing score. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. All right, here we go. 365 Sports. Alabama gets another coach to add to Kalen DeBoer's staff. We'll have that in a moment. Uh, Arizona's athletic budget, a little bit more information on that. In fact, John Wilner from the uh, Wilner Hotline, used to be the Pac-12 Hotline, the Wilner Hotline. John will join us today. He wrote a story, and it was really good, about how Oregon State and Washington State could not be in a better place, even though there is still you know, some dark clouds into the future, where they are financially, what they owe conferences that they're going to play non-football, uh, uh, I guess you could say sports, uh, and how they've come out of this as well as you could possibly come out of it. Uh, he'll join us. And also his thoughts about, 
Arizona budgets, et cetera, with also what Cal and, and UCLA are dealing with. So those are a, a couple of things. And then a couple of ways we'll reflect, we're going to reflect back on Bob Thompson uh, and, and a couple of tweets, one from August of last year and also one from this week when it comes to people wanting to have hearings and meetings and more when it comes to sports athletics and even sports media. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, Garrett Ross runs the mothership. Jack McKenzie's here. I'm David Smoke, and we appreciate your time today. Oh, Willie Fritz, Houston football coach, will join us today. Bruce Feldman, and I mentioned John Wilner. We have a lot to get to, including Paul's top five to close out the week. All right, so today, former TCU defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie, he was at Stephenville, was a part of a staff that won a couple of national, a couple of state titles. Then he won him a state title as the head coach there. Went on to join Philip Montgomery at Tulsa. Was there for seven years. Was at TCU on that 2022 team that was great. And then last year relieved of his duties after the season ended. Maybe kind of a scapegoat. He has accepted the job as the head coach at Midway High School. We do their games on the radio. And so wanted to have this story because it's connected to TCU, the Big 12, and college football, too. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, and you know, I, I know that uh, we've talked about coaches going to the NFL, uh, maybe from college a little bit more maybe than they used to because recruiting has changes. But, uh, you know, Joe Gillespie uh, obviously kind of feeling that uh, his calling is back in the high school game, which is which is strange because I'm sure, you know, being the – the defensive coordinator at TCU, he could have jumped back into that world uh, pretty easily, you know, and gotten a job somewhere. But, uh, you know, this does maybe offer a little bit more stability um, at this time. So it'll be interesting to – when we do get to talk to Joe, um, you know, how you know why why the choice to go back to high school. But Midway's got themselves a good coach with, a you know, a lot of, a lot of good uh, marks on the resume. Yeah, I mean, congratulations to Midway for finalizing their search that's been going on for quite a while now, and to uh, Joe Gillespie, I guess, welcome to the area and and to Midway and enjoy covering their games. But uh, certainly, you know, a far cry from just a couple of years ago when you're running the defense at TCU and they're playing the national championship yeah. game, and now you're going to be on the sidelines on Friday night. So whatever went in that decision, I mean, obviously part, part of it wasn't his to not be at TCU anymore, um, but whatever went in the decision to decide to you know go back to the high school uh, coaching side of things and you know, apply his trade there, uh, I, I don't know. We'll find that out when we talk to him, but it's a great school with a, a very good football program, and so I can see the appeal of that um, and also the appeal of, uh, as you said, you know, some going to the NFL because it's just an easier lifestyle, and I can imagine high school football is a much easier lifestyle uh, than the college ranks as well. So maybe that played into it, but regardless, they got a good football coach. I'm, it's bittersweet. I really liked Ezra Martinez. And I would have been thrilled if he had gotten the job. You know, I'm not the one doing the interviews and the hirings, though. So I only know the surface level of just what I was able to see watching games. And that was good enough for me to say thumbs up to Ezra Martinez as the next head football coach at Midway taking over full time. But uh, they decided to go a different direction. We'll see how it pans out for him. And, you know, best of luck to Ezra. And what a tremendous story that was for he and that staff to take over a really bad situation in the early part of a year and turn it into a district title and a playoff, uh, you know, a, a playoff appearance uh, was one of the most impressive things I've seen covering high school football for a couple of decades now. Well, speaking of Ezra, I spoke with him on the phone right before I had that story out. I asked him about, listen, I kind of know what's going to happen on Monday. 
He was excited for Joe Gillespie joining the staff. He's all in. He's already had talked to Coach Gillespie about remaining on staff. And so he's, uh, in fact, Coach Gillespie has also told Ezra Mustard, we're going to find a way to make sure that we set you up for you to get that opportunity when you want. So there were other options uh, possibly in the process that Ezra may have gone. Uh, and, uh, in fact, there was the thought he might end up with Karon Johnson, former Baylor and Quarrel uh, star uh, at University High. But from all indications, and Ezra told me this earlier, he is locked in to be a part of the staff with Joe Gillespie, who they've spoken with each other into the future. Now, Washington offensive line coach, Huff. This is uh, from uh, Scott Huff. He's headed to Alabama. He put out the statement that he's on his way. Dave Softy Mahler, best offensive line coach I've ever seen, one of the best dudes I've ever known. He now joins Caleb DeBoer and the staff at Alabama. Yep, uh, and also he's bringing an offensive lineman with him uh, as they uh, they got a, a transfer commitment uh, there today. So um, you know, nice carry on for him uh, to to Bama to go uh, there. But yeah, that's uh, that was a huge part. You know, when you watched Washington, Michael Penix never really had to worry about running for his life or anything like that and, until. And, until until he saw Michigan, yeah. But like against like if you go back to that Texas game, like how they controlled one of the better defensive lines in the country was one of the most impressive things I saw all season long from any team. Which you know, no one in the Big Twelve and Alabama, none of them had any answers for that Texas defensive line, and Washington did, and you know kept uh, Penix clean all night long, uh, and so yeah, clearly Sam Huff doing a really good job. I mean, yeah, that was one of the strengths of their team and why Michael Penix was able to be as effective as he was, why receivers were able to run downfield as long as they were able to at, at given times. They're the Joe Moore Award winners. So, I mean, they that's bottom line. All you need to say is, is yeah, they won the award for the best line in college football. And so um, that was a, a nice uh, showing and a big part of the reason why they got to the national championship game and had the success that they had. So I'm uh, not surprised that they – Head coach who was at Washington's bringing over some of his assistants from Washington, especially a guy who is fresh off a you know really nice year and uh, a really nice run. So yeah, that's a good hire for Alabama. I mean, not all that surprising, I suppose, but uh, yeah, good hire for the Tide there. All right, so there's that Noah Carter, by the way, who was a Washington commit. He's headed to Alabama. Hell of a player. He can kind of play multiple positions. So that's another one that is part of that transition of three or four different programs that are caught up in uh, almost musical chairs. He is a very highly rated outside player and can play a lot of different positions for, and even athletic enough that he can play on offense if, in fact, they wanted to use him at that. Chad Morris, he's been everywhere. Uh, he is going to join G.J. Kinney and his staff at Texas State, uh, the former legendary high school coach who was at Stephenville once himself. Uh, he's been at SMU in Arkansas. He's been at Lake Travis. He's been a lot of places. Uh, Clemson, uh, he is going to be on the staff at Texas State with G.J. Kenny as a wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator. Yeah, good hire uh, there. Interesting hire for uh for G.J. Kenny, you know, Chad Morris is, you know, after Arkansas, SMU and Arkansas and, um, you know, kind of getting back into the the high school ranks and then and then that, um, you know, kind of not working out where he was uh, or him changing, his, you know, what he wanted to do. Yeah, this is this is a nice spot. I wonder what the future holds 
after Texas State for Chad Morris because he's he's been successful. Like he, you know, he helped build Deshaun Watson at Clemson. You know, so he's had a lot of different you know levels of success at a lot of different places. Uh, so curious to see where he goes from here. Um, yeah, I think that uh, nothing really is sitting out there in the future if he doesn't do a pretty good job with his job because I think it's been kind of a winding backwards road for mm-hmm. him here as of late. So yeah, I mean the idea of him taking over like the Baylor job a few years ago, which he was in the you know conversation for I suppose or in the uh I guess the guessing game for uh, back when everybody's trying to figure out who they might hire both times around he was just a logical candidate because of his Texas ties but the guy's been everywhere and that's a good thing and that's also a bad thing because you know there were times where yeah maybe at, at Clemson it was a hot name and then other times where uh you know at SMU maybe not so much or he just picked different points but yeah kind of a name that we haven't heard much about these last couple of years and um, that's a very familiar hire here in the state of Texas, obviously. So I see why it makes a lot of sense for uh, GJ to go that route. But he's he's been kind of a one-year guy for going on a little stretch here now at this point. I mean, spent uh, last season with Clemson as an offensive analyst, was at South Florida for one year as an offensive analyst, was at Allen High School as the head coach for one year, was at Auburn as the OC quarterbacks coach for one year. So since 2020, he's not held a job for more than a single season. He's been bouncing around. So we'll see if this is a spot where he can dig his heels in and uh, you know help out GJ and stick around for a little while or not stick around in a good way because that means they were so successful that boom he gets another opportunity so that's what you hope for but yeah I can see the appeal for GJ here with all of his experience around the country and uh, yeah it's a nice hire for Texas State and uh, GJ with a big year two in store obviously has had to deal with the, some bristly topics like the Jaden Delora situation but they've managed to now I guess get past that after he decided to uh, not enroll, or I guess what's the opposite of enrolling? Uh, withdraw. Withdraw, yes. Uh, withdraw from school just a couple of days ago. So that's now, I guess, starting to fade into the rear view a little bit, and we'll see what they do as far as uh, the quarterback spot eventually, how that settles in. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a respectable hire. There has been a lot of discussion about the uh, Arizona $240 million deficit or miscalculation Whatever it is, we know that the AD Hickey's on his way out, although he will get his full contract. Uh, this was from yesterday evening when John Wilner, Arizona Athletics is operating at a twenty a $30 million loss. That's Amateur Hour, signed Cal and UCLA, and John will join us today at 5 because of the issues they've had. And, and there was even, I saw today, some, some uh, blowback and even Robbins getting drilled a little bit because of him being the one that's that's his university he's the president and so we'll have john on to discuss it from his point of view plus that story i mentioned about where washington state and oregon state seem to be in a pretty good place right now yeah um arizona like i i saw from from katie hobbs you know the you know her letter about that and look when you have a budget shortfall the president has to answer that i know that he's you know, that Hickey is the, you know, immediate scapegoat, but eventually all this stuff comes back on the president. So, you know, he's going to have to see his way through that or see his way out. And so, but, you know, the other thing is when you look, when you open the paper and you see a $240 million budget shortfall at any state institution, then the governor has to get involved because people are going to ask them about like, hey, 
why $240 million? Like, how does this happen? And again, like, you know, Cal, like you said, Cal and Stanford are like, okay, whatever. But Cal and Stanford Cal, would say, ah, yeah, I mean, Sam, I, well, Stanford let me get this out of my but, wallet. But you Cal, know? like, you know, they're, yeah, all of those. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens at Arizona because, you know, this just shouldn't happen to where it's it's that much, but maybe the Big 12 will help them out there. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to know all the ins and outs of their budget and how all that's working. I know they're at a massive deficit. Part of that's COVID and just expectations not being met and you know mishandling, obviously, at the very top of that list. Uh, the, all I know really from the last day or so is that you don't want to get politicians involved, and that's what they've now found themselves wandering into is now you've got a politician who's suddenly, oh, what's this going on at Arizona? Let me talk about them or um, start to put a spotlight on them. And maybe some of that's needed. Maybe there's a little intervention needed. I don't know. I'd just be very wary of getting politicians allowed in any part of my life. So if you're the University of Arizona, you do everything you can in your power to avoid that. But, you know, Jason Shear has uh, broken down the reporting part of this in various ways over the last few weeks. And it's a situation where it's not as dire as it's made out to be. I think it's another thing where social media amplifies it. So what is a significant budget uh shortfall shortfall is not an atomic bomb in arizona shutting down the athletics department but it is something that you need to get under control you need to get the radioactivity contained and we'll see if they're able to do that quickly enough to avoid any you know significant damage but it is you know an ugly story and it is something that should not have occurred but i'm sure there's reasons for that and we'll see how they sort through it but it's not going to be a detriment to them joining the big 12 or not being able to compete at a certain level i don't believe but there's more to go here obviously and we'll see how they end up handling the various stops on the road to getting back to where they need to be what did you say about like congressional hearings and politics and all that politicians here are here's an example uh this is from uh christovich Chairs Rogers and Lotta announced, no, yeah, off to the left, read that for not the whole thing, uh, uh, on the fu- a hearing on the future of sports media and the marketplace. Of course, there's a lot of discussion about this and that when it comes to contracts and all that. Bob Thompson, I put this up because I'm going to show you another example from like nine or ten months ago in a minute. Based on my observations over the years, congressional members understand little about business Many members understand very little about sports. Many members understand very little about the media business, and even fewer understand the sports media business. So there's a, oh, there's a from just recently. That's this week. So then back in August when Brett McMurphy put out a tweet about the Big 12, the demise, and Klyovkov, and all of what they were trying to do, this is what he put out then. Based on my observation over the years, many university presidents don't understand business. Many presidents don't understand, uh, understand very little about sports, and even fewer presidents understand the sports business. Well, um, yeah, I mean, part of that is because most of the university presidents don't come out of athletic departments, or they, you know, they weren't former college athletes. They're, they're academics, so they just need things like again that's not their expertise at all even though they're really smart people but you know you can be as smart as you are in the world but if you don't know anything about anything then it's about that thing then you're not being smart doesn't really help you in that moment and you know with when it comes to congress you could take that out about almost anything like right now almost anything that they're having a hearing about you listen to one of those hearings you're like are you at the right one? 
Like, did you did you walk into this and thinking you were somewhere else and asking this question to this person? Like, is there another one down the hall that you should be at and you're confused because you're old and drunk? I don't know what's going on here, but that's kind of what happens. But yes, when it comes to the sports media business, this is, I mean, you know, other than the comedy of it, it's not, it's, it's going to be a headache, but get your child all and, and hope for a good laugh or somebody with a stupid question about the sports media business. Yeah. And based on my limited reading, the state of Arizona doesn't have a whole lot of room to talk about the university of Arizona when it comes to shortfalls, because they've got a pretty massive one of their own that is much larger. (laughs) So the politicians can, you know, I guess deflect. Uh, look, yes, uh, deflect, and you know what? They're pretty good at that. That's mm-hmm. one of their their strengths at, at times, and so I think there's maybe a little bit of that going on here. Um, but certainly, things were mishandled or could have been handled better, and so University of Arizona has to get to work on that. I won't pretend to be an expert on how they go about doing that, but it does seem more manageable in the things that I've read the last couple of days than if you just scope the headline from a few days ago and you're like, oh my God, they're going to cut women's basketball and they're going to have to cut volleyball and they're going to have to cut and they're not going to be what we thought rolling in. The only way I see Arizona not being what we thought they were going to be basically rolling into the Big 12 next year is just that Jed Fish isn't the coach. I mean, I think for most sports fans watching, it's not going to be anything that noticeable for right now at least. And based on some of the reactions, it is something that is not going to be uncontrollable and then leads to more dominoes falling. But we'll see. Um, it's, it's clearly something that they need to get under control. But, yeah, Bob raises a good point. I'd say that you could probably do that with any other business, though, when they're trying to talk about other businesses. So I don't expect a lot of school administrators to be experts on TV rights and things like that, but it is a little bit under their umbrella. And so those are kind of like with politicians getting involved and and now administrators get involved in certain things. You you know, you do want them to kind of stay in their own lane, but uh, that's a nice little jab from uh, from Bob there, or a little, uh, I guess, joke there from from Bob on that. Well, here's one as well from Kim Coulter, one of our loyal viewers of what he does. The state of Arizona had a $2 billion surplus before she took office last year, and now there's zero money in our coffers. That's from Seems somebody bad. that lives right there Seems bad, yeah. in the Scottsdale, Phoenix uh area so that that does seem to be in Kyle Visser's zona Kim conundrum all the Arizona uh, all of the Arizona residents you know right will be taxed for the short oh, of course yeah, yeah. We, we the people have to pay for those folks mistakes yeah. every time of course I, I Arizona actually had uh, one of those elections where it was like hey do you want one idiot or another idiot <laughs> yeah like who can be, that, I guess. Who can be the yeah. less the least dumbass in this election and that's what they had so I, I and that happens more and more like you hear people talking you're like my god you know it used to be you know when I was a kid which wasn't too, too long ago. When Smokey was a kid, he was to be like a distinct... Which was a long, long time ago. But you yeah. would like, if somebody was like a senator or a congressman, it was kind of distinguished. And now, I mean, it feels like anybody can do that job. It feels more like a reality show sometimes. It does. Like, it really it like, does. You know, it's not like one of those things where, you know, you're going to go to this school and you're going to do this. You're going to go to law school or you're going to be a PhD or something. And then one day, you know, when you're country calls you to serve you're ready to go give your expertise to the senate and use your great mind to do that and now it's like um you know you won a pie eating contest so go ahead you're the representative from the seventh district if i watch two minutes of any kind of hearing i want to stick a sharp instrument in not my ear my ear, my throat, and even my eyeballs. Maybe my nose. By the way... Well, that's part of uh, covering college football for no, some people these days. Right. That's un- true. The crazy amount of hearings, and so that's not going away, and that's only going to continue to be 
I think, a part of the sport for the foreseeable future to some extent until they get to some place where everybody's okay for a little while with the way things are set up. But we're clearly not in that spot right now. Uh, good luck to Arizona in, in riding the ship there. But, uh, yeah, that's something that is um, – you know, a, a story to keep an eye on, I guess, moving forward as they start to make their way into the Big 12. We will hear from Willie Fritz, the University of Houston football coach, in the next segment. One game from last night in the top 10, speaking of Arizona, Tommy Lloyd and the Wildcats are in kind of a fall. Uh, they're still really good. They were ranked number nine going into last night's game. They were beaten by Oregon State. Last night, it's the next one, I think, uh, Garrett. We'll do the Big well, that 12 was just Saturday. Set your note on it. That's why. I oh, okay. It off. Yeah, last night we could do the schedule for the Big Twelve later in the show because I want to hit the break for Willie Fritz. Oregon State three point shot at the buzzer by Jordan Pope, and the Beavers knock off number nine Arizona. Arizona was up double digits in the first half, eighty three to eighty. When we come back, Willie Fritz, head coach at Houston, we had him when he a couple of different times when he was at Tulane. He's next. This is 365 Sports. I have this note from Dr. Rob Maxey. Uh, he sent me this. He goes, I spoke to Teresa at the store. Told me about a teacher at a local school district who brought his daughter in for an MRI. They had United Healthcare and refused to contract with us. He saved seven or $800 by going with Ideal MRI straight up, despite having United Healthcare. Hey, I have United Healthcare, but the, they were going to have to go to the hospital to get the MRI. I've mentioned this before. The average MRI is $1,100. Ideal MRI is $497 or less every single time. So they ended up going to Ideal MRI, even though the insurance was not going to cover it. Ended up getting a receipt from Ideal MRI for the exam, and the school district will now reimburse him for the MRI for his daughter. Uh, unbelievable service at Ideal MRI. Multiple patients who might be willing to say a few words, of course, about what they've done, like I've done. I've been inside their machine three or four times, never paid more than four ninety seven. have paid less a couple of different times. So they have a great staff. From those who set up the appointment based on your doctor contacting them and or you contacting them to get it done, when you're there, there's not a long wait, and sometimes it's like, 30 minutes at the most. Then you go inside. The Texan specialist help you out. You will then get a response, sometimes a call or at least an email that the images are in the portal. Your doctor will get them at the same time. That is incredible customer service. Not only convenience, but also the amenities of a state-of-the-art technology MRI machine and the cost, once again, is never more than $497. Ideal MRI in the Central Texas Marketplace off of I-35 in Waco. During the Start Something New sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco, get incredible deals on our entire inventory selection of new Ram trucks, Jeeps, SUVs, Chrysler sedans, or sporty Dodge. Shop in-store or online today and drive into 2024 with confidence and excitement. 
Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one, commercial, farm and ranch, or residential. Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction with a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you. Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Our good friend Brad Boozer, Boozer's Jewelers here at 365 Sports. Now, Brad, uh, people who watch uh, and listen to our show know I'm a double-time customer for you, engagement ring and wedding band, and you guys do that great, but that's not all you do at Boozer's Jewelers. Absolutely. And uh, I always like to say, you know, it's a new year. It's a great way to start the year out. Uh, go through your old jewelry, go through your wife's jewelry box, go through anything you're maybe not wearing, something that's broken, something that you're not using. We do a, a massive amount of custom work. We can take your old jewelry, old diamonds, old watches, and we can convert it into something special for you and make a one of a kind piece of jewelry. Uh, and if that's not something you're interested in, uh, a great thing is we can turn that into cash. So we buy gold, we buy diamonds, we'll buy Rolex watches, any kind of heirloom jewelry, anything that's maybe passed down to you. Boozer's Jewelers, where do they find you, Brad? We're at 1025 North Valley Mills Drive, right on the corner of Lake Air Drive and Valley Mills with the big clock on the corner. Let Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one, commercial, farm and ranch, or residential. Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction with a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you. Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming. Warm. Welcome home. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now now downtown on Franklin Avenue. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. He is Houston football coach Willie Fritz. We've had Coach Fritz on this show when he was at Tulane. Now at Houston, part of the Big 12, and been pretty busy the last few weeks trying to get everything through the transition and also moving forward. Coach David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke, thank you very much for your time again. Always appreciate your time. What has been, during the transition, and now it's been a few weeks, but what has been the one or two biggest challenges you've faced? 
Oh, you know, putting the staff together, that was big. Uh, you know, that's it, one of the toughest things when you take a new job. Not everybody, at the, you know, the previous school is, is going to be a fit at the new school. And the new school, unfortunately, you know, not able to keep everybody. So that, that was difficult to, to you know, put, put a staff together. But I think I put a really good staff together. A lot of guys who have uh, experience recruiting in the state of Texas. And then just going out and, and getting in front of the high school coaches, they've got, uh, you know, more influence here than any other state in the country as far as, uh, you know, uh, college coaches and where their student athletes are going to end up going to school. And and uh, so it's been important for me to go out as a head coach to all these different schools and, you know, reacquaint myself with, uh, you know, the state of Texas. I, I've been gone for 10 years after I left in Houston. I went two years to Georgia Southern as a head coach and then went over to Tulane for eight. So it's great to go back into high school, see former players and, you know, friends of mine from uh, years gone by. And, and I think we're making a lot of inroads. Coach, uh you know, obviously in the decade since you left, Houston's changed a lot. Uh, you know, they're in a power five conference. They've built a new stadium, like all, power all these four. Yeah, power, yeah, power four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a power four conference. Yeah. The conferences are all different now. Um, all of that. Um, what are the things that maybe fans may not realize about Houston and the fact that they could be, especially just given where you're sitting a, a bit of a sleeping giant as far as how much this program could grow. Well, I think our president's done an excellent job of raising the academic profile of the university, number one. Number two, uh, we, you know, we, we broke ground about three months ago on our brand-new football operations center. Uh, it's going to be spectacular, one of the tops in the country. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why maybe as many kids as, as uh, you know, you'd like to have a bunch of them from around this area didn't stay here at home is because uh, they weren't playing in a Power Four conference. And now we're doing that, and that's what I'm selling to these kids. You know, you get to play in front of your your folks and your people and go home on the weekends and all those kind of different things if, if you want to. And uh, you get to play in these great facilities and you get to do it, you know, on the, on the big stage. So uh, that's the reason why I took the job. Uh, I, I wanted to, you know, to do it at the very highest level of, of collegiate football. And, you know, I was looking at our, our schedule for next year, and uh, they had a preseason top 25 with some publication. I think we're playing seven teams ranked in the top 25 preseason-wise. So very challenging schedule, and, and uh, I think that'll uh, appeal to a lot of the kids uh, in the state of Texas, particularly here in the greater Houston area. Coach, you brought on a couple of uh, local heroes to your coaching staff, the Bell Brothers, from here close by in China Spring, and we got to know them very well over the years. And obviously, we're at Baylor these past few seasons, but just uh, your... three, three minutes, three minutes and twelve seconds. I told those guys, I, I wonder how quickly they're going to ask about the Bell Brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was it was it quicker or, or longer than you expected? I told them two and a half. Okay. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so you guys are a little late on this deal, oh. but uh, oh, no, I'm God. so pumped to have those guys. Uh, you know, Sean, he, he knows about every third guy. So does Brian. They know everybody in the state. You know, Brian was a great quarterback for me, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's, he's you know won a state championship at China Spring, and then you got they make sure I don't put that asset in of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, kind of spraying that that's spraying, right. right? And then, uh, that's right. 
and then uh, Sean, you know, great quarterback at Baylor, and you know, was a coach down here at Magnolia West uh, in the Houston area, and both those guys have really helped me out. I've, I've been fortunate. I think I got five guys on staff who've been uh, Texas high school coaches at one time or another in their career. I'm also a former Texas high school coach. I coached at uh, Willis, mm-hmm. uh, Texas, for a year. So uh, they're, they're, they've been great additions. And, uh, you know, my son works in recruiting, and he was in Brian's wedding, and Brian was in his wedding. So got a lot of history with those guys. It's great to have them on board. You have coached at the high school level. You mentioned Willis. He had a hell of a quarterback, but I, I know he's going somewhere else last year with Lagway. But you've been at the junior college level. Uh, you Pittsburgh State with that incredible tradition where you went to school. And, of course, we know the, the, the national history they have. So you've been everywhere, FCS, FBS, Power Four, all of this. Uh, any of those particular levels did you learn the most, or is it a kind of combination melting pot? Really, it was all of them. You know, I, I, I really, you know, I, I really had two mentors in, in coaching. A guy named Dick Foster that I, I coached for as defense coordinator, Coffeeville Community College, and then Ron Randleman. Ron's like a dad. Oh too. yeah, He's, uh, he was my head coach at Pittsburgh State, and then that time I matriculated down to Texas is when he, you know, got on at San Houston State and as the head coach, I coached with a GA form and then a coordinator form a few years later. He comes to probably 75% of my games, uh, you know, since I've been coaching at other places. So I learned some at all of them. I, I you know, it just, uh, I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. We have big staff meetings, you know, every day at four o'clock. And, you know, and I talk to, you know, the academic people and the athletic trainers and the equipment people and strength and conditioning and, you know, I've done everybody's job. I, I buy schedule and role student athletes for 15 years. I strength coach for 12 years. I was equipment guy for a couple. I line the fields. I, you know, you know, done done a little bit of everything. And I, I got great appreciation for everybody's job. And and uh, I think it's uh, kind of unique. You know, that, that I, I've, I've done a lot of different things. I think it gives me a little different perspective than maybe. A, someone who's just been at the division one level all their life and doesn't really know how the inner workings of a, of a staff and a football program should be run. Willie Fritz head football coach at Houston with us on 365 sports. Coach, I'm always curious to hear uh, views on um, the calendar now in college football, which is really complicated. I mean, the, the third week in December seems to make no sense because you have about six things that are going on that should all really have their own week or even a month uh, surrounding them that you're all kind of doing at the same time when it getting ready for a bowl game or transitioning to a new staff and kids going into the transfer portal, you getting kids out of the transfer portal, you know, fundraising, bowl games, all these things kind of overlap at once. How would you, is there a way to fix it? Do you have any kind of like way to navigate through that? Because especially you changing jobs, that had to be really hard this year. Yeah, it was, you know, but you just got to do it. It's uh, got a friend of mine is a D1 head coach and he was, he kind of calls me about once a week and complains about stuff. I say, Hey man, it ain't changing. <laughs> you, know, you better, better adapt to it, you know? And, and, uh, and that's what we've done. I, I uh, I think at some point in time, you know, when you, whenever you have any new legislation that everybody's got to adhere to, you know, there, there's a little trial period, and you you, you got to work out the kinks, and I'm sure we'll do that. It's uh, 
you know, but yeah, there's a lot of things going on in December. I, I remember I, you know, had been working and it took the job on December 3rd and I drive back to New Orleans, you know, to over Christmas on the 22nd. And, uh, I thought, wow, I think, you know, I'm going to have a couple of days off. I haven't had a day off since, since July. This is going to be fun. And about four days later, they, uh, extended the time the guys can get in the portal and <laughs> unlimited transfers. I'm like, wow. And I, I was on the phone for four days in a row for three or four hours a day. So there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be changed, I think, uh, in the next, you know, six months, I'm guessing, you know, but, uh, they're not asking my opinion. So I'm just going to do the best I can with the, with the rules they got, they got right now in place. With as far as what you want to accomplish and do offensively, defensively, what do you do as far as starting to look at the roster? And obviously you guys have been very busy with the portal in and out, but what, what are the changes I guess people will see in a recruit in a recruiting approach to the type of players that you're looking for? Well, we're going to really go after uh, Texas high school football players. I mean, the greatest football in, in the world, high school-wise, is played right here in the state of Texas without question. It's been, it's been a lot of fun going in and watching off-season programs and the discipline and the structure, you know, and the, you know the, just the interaction with the kids, just how they, you know, have, have been around, you know, coaches and, and uh, you know, it's just been a lot of fun doing that. So we're going to try to, you know, we want our roster to be full of Texas high school kids. I just think, you know, every place I've been, you know, I think kids are happier if they're fairly close to home. And uh, now with us playing power four football, like I said before, we've got, got that opportunity for kids to stay here and accomplish, you know, you know the, the goals that they want to accomplish. So uh, that, that's what we're going to do. I, I mean, I, I think the portal is something that we're going to, Utilize at times. There's sometimes you need immediate help, or maybe uh, a kid from this area, or you know, went away, thought the grass is green, or someplace else, and find out it was only green and wants to come back home. You know, so we'll also use the portal in that regard as well. Well, you're in a recruiting hotbed. Yeah. There's not a better city yeah. in America. Yeah. That, that's not a softball question. That's just the truth. What you have in Houston? Yeah, I was going to follow it up with. I mean, there's. I mean, there's how much of an advantage is that to be in Houston? Oh, a city also that has a lot of you know people have civic pride about it uh, more than than a lot of places in the country that you know kids just maybe want to be in Houston because it's a cool place to be. Well, you know, we've got over three hundred thousand alums in the greater Houston area. Uh, so that certainly ought to help. And then something else is, uh, uh, we, you know, when I go into all these high schools, there, there's a lot of Houston alums that are, that are, uh, coaching now and, you know, former Houston Cougar football players, you know, that are teaching and coaching around the area. So, uh, they're all excited about, you know, the move into the Big 12 and, and, you know, have great, you know, uh, uh, uh you know, they love their, their, their university and their alma mater and, and, uh, you know, I'm just with the, the facilities we have, with the, you know, the stadium has been revamped. Uh, we got an unbelievable indoor, you know, it's a, it's really a, a football field and a half, you know, so you can get a full practice in there and then, you know, a great outdoor field and, and, uh, and then the football operations center. We're going to have everything, you know, in place, you know, in order to be successful with the football program. Willie, uh, Willie Fritz from Houston with us on 365 Sports. Did you ever get to watch a game when Bill Yeoman was there who had the great run with the Veer? 
back before they even started the Southwest Conference uh, membership and after. Was that something you ever bump into him at all? No, I, I didn't. I met his sons here uh, a few days ago, but I've always heard great things about Coach. We, I got a big picture of him up in my office, and I've met a lot of the guys that, that played for him, uh, you know, over the years. Uh, but yeah, the split back there—that was his kind of his ace in the hole. I remember watching him on TV, and it was always on CBS, right? They had the yep. Cougars playing in, in one of the bowl games, your regular season game, whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, people, uh, you know, people here want to get back to you know the Bill Yeoman days. Now, I don't think we're going to run split back beer. No, no, but, uh, yeah, they're talking about the winning. They want to, they want to get back to that. No, nobody yeah. will see it coming, Coach. Yeah, if yeah. you do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to debate whether. Uh, uh, Coach Neopolo, Patalo, excuse me, is going to be at Sam Houston State and run what he did when he was at San the Jose Naval, State. San Jose State was going to run what he did at the University of Na- the Naval Academy with that, with what they do at well, military. I played I play Ken a few times. I'm, I always call him Coach Ken. Yeah, you know, I got too much respect I, for you to butcher your name, but he, uh, uh, you know, we we played that under center triple option, and, and uh, he did a great job with it, and I. I you know, from what I've heard, I don't think he's going to run that up there. No, but, uh, no. You know, but he's a, he's a great football coach and a great guy. Last question for you. You have now been a part of the Cougars, which are now the Green Wave, the Bearcats, the Eagles at Georgia Southern, the Mules, and then the Buccaneers at Blinn and the Gorillas. Which of those mascots, and the Green Wave's not a, an animal, which of those mascots, with all due respect to the Cougars, the Gorillas are pretty tough. Which who would win that battle? Well, you, know, you didn't mention my high school. I coached at my high school in Shawnee Mission Northwest up in Kansas, and uh, we were the Cougars there also. Okay, so I have to go with the Cougars. Yeah, you have to go okay, with yeah. the, There you go with the alma mater. <laughs> I'm not, great, I'm great not answer. Stupid. Life comes full circle. Yeah, coach. it does. <laughs> we appreciated your time uh, when you were at Tulane, the Great Run, and. You were a part of that win in the Cotton Bowl against USC. What do you still have that feeling that hey, uh, when the playoff expands, that group of five schools should be much more at least involved, and is that going to be great for them when we move to fi- uh, to twelve teams? Yeah, I think you know. Obviously, I'm not not in that group of five anymore, but I think it's, there, there's always going to be a, a school or two that's very deserving of get in that final 12 and I think we kind of proved with with uh you know what we did with uh, you know against USC that teams can you know flourish uh, playing those type of teams and then Houston you know a few years back with Tom Herman at the helm you know uh beating Florida State and having an incredible season you know and they're still part of the American or maybe even Conference USA I'm not quite sure but you know they uh you know, they showed that you know teams from Group of five can be very, very successful. So yeah, I think it's that's only fair when you you know you got to it needs to be a, a true national championship playoff and includes everybody. Thank you, Coach Fritz. Good luck. Thank you very much for your time. We uh, do appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Go Cougs. You too, uh, Willie Fritz, head football coach, University of Houston, the Cougars. He was at Sam Houston State, and they did it. And Brian Bell was his quarterback. Made a great run. He's won everywhere. And now his job is to get Houston in their second year in the Big 12 to another level with Dana Holgerson no longer a part of that staff. It was a fun moment there with the 
Bell's question. Uh, they were <laughs> expecting that. He was expecting that. I'm glad that I was able to go past, though, the expectation. Mm-hmm. Like, go go a little longer than they thought before that first question about Brian and Sean were asked. But you knew we had to, being from mm-hmm. this area. And uh, obviously a pair of you know awesome guys and uh, up-and-coming coaches in the ranks that we'll be hearing about for a long time and nice additions to that Houston staff. And I'm excited to see what they do down there because I think there's a lot of potential. And the Big 12 is pretty wide open. I mean, there's... A team here, a team there that you say for 2024, they're set up really nicely. You even maybe pose them as a, a favorite in that category. But there's nobody that you just say, like, that's the team and nobody can touch them. Or And not that you really did that in years past, but there's a lot of times we could say, like, Oklahoma's pretty clearly better than everybody. Or uh, Texas looks pretty good, even though that kind of went up and down. But there's really not a, a team. I know Utah, with their background, people just expect them to, or at least their fans expect them to roll in and take care of business like, it's just the easiest thing in the world based on some of the opinions that I've read. And then there's Arizona fans who up until the Jed Fish feeling, you know, felt like they had a, had a, a great run at being at the top and obviously Kansas state and Kansas and so on and so forth. So I think it's wide open. It's, it's going to be there for Houston to have the opportunity to take a big step up this season and be right there in the mix if they make the right moves and, and play well enough. So he's a great coach. Uh, that's going to be fun to watch them build that thing up down there. Kyle Visser in the chat making, uh, he goes, ask him about the de- developing a good relationship with the high schools. Uh, Manuel, uh, Shadow Creek, North Shore, Katie. Uh, yeah, he answered all that based on well, what his relationship was when he was at Sam Houston State and Blinn. And now what it is at the University of Houston. Grayson Grunhafer joins us, 365 Sports Recruiting Analyst. All right, Grayson, I know that there are junior days and weekends and all of that continues. Let's start, though, uh, with the portal. I know that it's closed, and yet again, I don't know if it's ever closed. Has Baylor taken, at least for now until the next time period, their last transfer player for this particular semester? It certainly feels that way, and obviously you have two different cycles kind of kind of going on here, right? Because you got this one that is technically you could still add guys. I mean, I think Alabama still has this open 30-day window, and there's other schools kind of like that, and obviously more dominoes to fall with who knows what happens with Michigan and just all these different you know circumstances that could change things. But I think in general for Baylor uh, – you know, if they're going to take someone, it's going to be just a complete difference maker stud and likely an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, um, maybe a receiver. But again, it would just be it would fall into the you can't not take a prospect category. Um, but right now, the expectation is that they're pretty much done um, for this cycle. And that would be, you know, they have a solid group. They got nine transfers um, committed, you know, signed. Most are already on campus. Uh, also added two JUCO prospects as well, so you get some age there um, added to the roster. And so, yeah, I think right now you can pretty much pencil that in for they're they're pretty much done unless there's something you know some sort of moving part that happens. As we know, the transfer portal uh, is pretty crazy. But then you mentioned the fact that oh, but then the next cycle. And I think sometimes people are kind of like, okay, what's the next cycle? Um, but that would come essentially in the summer. Uh, but it truly is kind of after spring football where guys figure out where they are on their respective depth charts, how much they're going to play this year, get an idea of kind of what their role is going to be. Um, you could see more attrition on the Baylor roster, and you're going to see more attrition from rosters across the country, which could open up some more spots for Baylor. 
um, and allow them to take more transfers. Uh, but I do think they will probably add some prospects during that cycle. Um, the question really is how many. And obviously, if you look back to this past year, they didn't really have a ton of success with the guys that they landed uh, during that specific cycle outside of Byron Vaughn, who was kind of up and down, but he was the most productive of the three uh, that initially signed. And so, um, yeah, you know, it, it's a risk, but I do think that if you read it and kind of listen to everyone's perspective going into that spring cycle, a lot of people think that it's going to be pretty crazy and that there's going to be a lot more guys in the portal that cycle than there ever has been uh, in the past. And if this fall kind of winter cycle is any indication of that, I feel like that's probably going to be pretty accurate. Grayson Junior Day is on Sunday this week, a, a big day uh, for recruiting for for everybody around the country. But uh, there are a ton of guys coming. If you had, and I'm going to put you on the spot, you can only pick one that's definitely coming to Baylor. Which would be the one that you would pick? Am I allowed to pick commits? <laughs> no, that's no, not. Yeah, you I'll, can't pick the commits. They've already said okay. yes. Yeah, so obviously five commits are going to – the five commits in the 2025 class are going to be at Baylor. So um, if I'm not picking those, you know, one of those five, it really is an interesting kind of conundrum because you got a lot of guys that have visited a ton. And so naturally you kind of think, okay, well, it's probably going to be one of those guys. But then Baylor sent out a ton of uh, offers recently. And so I think that's kind of cloudy that a little bit. But I think if I were to pick one, just looking at – who's on the list, who I've talked to, the kind of relationships that they've built. Um, I'm actually going to go with a guy who I saw maybe two weeks ago, uh, Iowa Colony Edge, Christopher Johnson. Um, he's got a great relationship with the staff, specifically Caleb Collins. I know Caleb Collins and Dennis Johnson have been fighting over, uh, is he going to play Jack? Is he going to play defensive end? Um, we'll see on all that. Um, but I do think that Baylor's in a great spot with him. I think he's a really, really good prospect, currently a very – underrated prospect who had a great day when I saw him at the next level athlete uh, camp just a few weeks ago. Um, to me, he's very firmly a high three-star type prospect and a guy that you would definitely be excited about to have on your roster. I think he had like nine and a half sacks last year with one of the, the top defense linemen in his district. I, I believe he might've won defensive MVP in his district as well. Um, so very good prospect and one that I feel very good about Baylor's chances currently. Grayson, has there been any noticeable differences in just things you hear, the way they approach uh, who they're recruiting as compared to maybe the last few years? I just ask that because there are a lot of new faces. You've been around long enough to see how various staffs do it to, to varying degrees of success. Is there anything notably different, or is it kind of just the same thing, new faces? You know, i got to say, and this might, be, this might be wrong, honestly, but just the way that I have looked at it, I mean, I've been covering the recruiting beat for Baylor since. 2018. So, I mean, I've seen a lot of different kind of junior day lists. I've seen a lot of different, you know, strategies when it comes to recruiting. Um, but I do think that it's very important to, to mention Keenan Hall when we're talking about kind of what this junior day looks like. Because if you look through this group and you look how many guys are from the Dallas area and from, you know, Red Oak or from different, you know, places kind of up along uh, I-35 and, and you're kind of just like, hey, you know, there's a lot of different guys coming. A lot of guys who I don't know if they would have come on a Baylor visit uh, if he wasn't on the staff now. And, and I think that's been something really intriguing. Obviously, two SMU commits are going to be on campus this weekend. Uh, Demetrius Brisbane um, and, of course, Ricky Stewart, both out of Chapel Hill, both guys that Keenan Hall recruited to SMU. Uh, but even more than that, I mean, Cameron Morgan, 
uh, the edge prospect out of Red Oak. I mean, that's a top 100 prospect in the country, uh, an elite edge type guy who, I mean, again, I don't know if he would have visited Baylor if Keenan Hall wasn't on the staff. And there's other guys like that as well, the South Oak Cliff guys. Um, I know Baylor's been really strategic as far as showing up at South Oak Cliff. Dave Aranda was there. Keenan Hall's been there multiple times during when they were uh, traveling. So that area, obviously a lot of good players there. And so they're recruiting that heavily. So I think that's one of them. I do think, you know, the shifts in NIL, I think the shifts in recruiting philosophy, especially with the fact that this class, uh, they have a lot more space in this class than they did the last one. I think it's going to cause them to utilize that a lot more and potentially have, you know, in the, I mean, they might even go over 20 prospects in this class, which certainly was not even close to being realistic in the last class. And because of that, it gives you a lot more freedom to uh, go out, recruit guys, take commitments early. Uh, you know, you can also wait for some of your high priority guys late in the cycle as well. So I think that a lot of those type of things, I think has made this junior day uh, a very special one for Baylor and one that, you know, if they can capitalize on it, it, it could be huge thanks to this 2025 recruiting class. Grayson, you uh, wrote about the schedule uh, in the premium section, and uh, I found it pretty interesting the, the way you kind of broke it down about what they need. I, 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 I do think it's pretty uh, a, a good point at number one that having two home games in November would be huge for this team, especially if they can get right at home this year and not have to travel that late because I, I do think the last two years it's, it's not helped them at all. Right. I mean, five and 10 in the month of November since Dave Aranda arrived in Waco. And that includes a current seven game losing streak during that month. And that's just brutal, guys. I mean, that's the time where you're supposed to be competing for a Big 12 championship, where you're supposed to be finishing the season, you know, on a high note, right, where you're improving and getting better. And that simply just has not been the reality the last two years. And so, yeah, I mean, the schedule comes out on the 30th, I believe, is what Max Olson reported. So I kind of just went in and went with the mindset of, you know, it would be great if Baylor could find a way to have at least two home games during that month just to give them more opportunities to um, not just win games, but win games in the season is coming to an end uh, and also making sure that the schedule isn't too brutal during that month. But yeah, it was pretty fun to do that. Obviously, we're going to know the real schedule in a week, but I kind of made up my own created one, the most ideal schedule. And obviously, you mentioned one of the criteria, and there's a few other ones in there if you want to give that a read. But yeah, I felt like it was a, a lot of fun and also something that is completely made up and probably won't happen at all. <laughs> Go to Sikkim365.com to become a premium uh, subscriber. We would appreciate that. That's part of the umbrella of what we do with 365 Sports. Grayson, thank you. Have a great weekend. Continued luck chasing all that down when it comes to National Signing Day, of course, uh, next week with the stud. What? Oh, and, and also the transfer portal, which never seems to stop churning. When we come back, theathletic.com, senior college football columnist Bruce Feldman. This is 365 Sports. PettyClinicLowT.com. Dr. Kent Petty can help you become the high-performance man that you want to be, need to be, maybe used to be. As you get older, your body can change, uh, and your testosterone for men can start to go lower and drop, and it could create symptoms. For example, uh, uh, you're lethargic. You don't have the same energy. You don't sleep as well. It's just something doesn't feel right, and even sex drive becomes an issue too, or at least it can be. So Dr. Kent Petty has been in business now for quite some time and has been ahead of the curve 
If you may or feel like there's something that's just missing, it could be your testosterone. Contact his staff at PettyClinicLowT.com, email phone number there too, and tell them that I sent you. He will set you up. His staff will put you in position to get to a, 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 a get your blood work, have lab work. He gets that re- the results back, and if your testosterone level is too low, Dr. Petty can put you in a program to increase your testosterone level so you can get to be, well, you, who you used to be. If you feel any kind of just drop in who you once were, Dr. Kent Petty, he can help you become the high-performance man you want to be, need to be, used to be at PettyClinicLowT.com. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Don Humidor, your home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year, Aging Room, Quattro Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams, and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley. Don Schumanor in the Townwood Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Waco Custom Marketplace is your hometown grocery store with a full-service butcher shop and bakery. Hi, this is David Smoke. The butcher shop can take your customized orders for seafood, pork, and poultry and custom cut your favorite steaks from bacon-wrapped fillets, sirloin steaks, bone-in ribeyes, boneless ribeyes, and even prime rib. Cut specifically the way you want, the thickness that you want. They're all delicious. They have Norwegian salmon, mahi-mahi, catfish fillets, sliced ham or turkey, variety of cheese, and several options of sausage links, and even regular jalapeno or cheese snack sticks, fresh chicken breast or whole chickens, sliced bacon, pork chops, and ground beef, marinated beef or chicken fajitas, and always large briskets and tri-tip available, plus fresh vegetables. So the great product, customer service, and tradition continues at Waco Custom Marketplace, a full-service butcher shop and bakery, open Monday through Saturday. The Bauer Family, Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, or WacoCustomMarketplace.com. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254-339-1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco. A hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. Bruce Feldman, senior college football writer and columnist. For TheAthletic.com joins us on 365 Sports. Bruce, always great to have you 
on the show. I noticed the note, uh, the, the article about Michael Penix Jr., who had a spectacular year, could have won the Heisman Trophy, played for the national title. And, and what draft, draft experts are telling you uh, of why he can become, well, maybe as successful in college or not. Yeah, he's, it's really all over the board with him. I mean, he's the most polarizing quarterback in this draft class. Um, he's had four season-ending injuries back in his time at Indiana, had two remarkable seasons in a row for Washington, almost won the Heisman. Um, and so he's a guy that, that a lot of scouts we talk to think has the, is the best deep ball thrower and downfield thrower in the draft, which is a big statement. Um, and so – you know, one of the points, and I, you know, some of the guys I talked to, who, you know, who are in the draft process or have been, um, made the point that because he's been through so much adversity and, and really come through it so so strongly, um, they would like his chances to succeed in the NFL. Where Daniel Jeremiah, who's like the NFL Network's lead draft scout, the former scout, told me when you look back at all the quarterbacks over the last like twenty years the number one factor of the ones who have busted, and it's a big percentage of how many times the NFL gets it wrong, the biggest factor he has seen is guys who fail to deal with adversity and for one reason or another just can't can't bounce back. And Penix, to his credit, has shown he absolutely can do that. Bruce, uh, he had three fantastic, well, probably more, I mean, really more than that, but three stud wide receivers, including Roma Dunze this year. But um, how different would their stories be without Michael Penix? Because he just seemed to be able to do things that most quarterbacks can't do. Like the the Roma Dunze, like we need a third and 11, and they get 18 yards on the most beautiful pass ever. It was a regular thing for the Huskies this year. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it was uh... – it was a big deal to have to have that guy because look, this was one of the worst offenses in college football till Michael Penix was running it, and obviously some of that, a big part of that, was Kalen DeBoer going in there and Ryan Grubb, the offense coordinator DeBoer brought with him, not Alabama, but they went from like 115th to like in the top five, um, and that was. The receivers were there. The offensive line was younger, but it was largely there. It was the big change was the trigger man and the, and the system he was running. Bruce, we went from what was a relatively quiet coaching carousel as the season was winding down and ending to then just massive decisions with Saban's retirement and then subsequently Jim Harbaugh this week. Is this you know, a more significant time period than most other years because of the stature of those guys? Or do you think this is just kind of business as usual? What kind of a void do you see being left uh, with those two departures in particular? Yeah, I absolutely think it's a much, much, um, because, you know, certainly because of Harbaugh, you know, he just won the national title. He's, he's the rare coach who came from college football who is a, proven track record of being a really good NFL head coach. I mean, he's a guy that came close to winning a Super Bowl. I mean, with the 49ers. And so I think the fact that, you know, it was expected that he was going to go, but until he did, I think that is one thing. So you have that job is still open. You know, we think that they will promote Sharon more up into that job permanently, but you know, that's a big factor. And then I obviously had, 
to lose the greatest coach of all time in college football, Nick Saban, to retire. And then all of a sudden the domino effect that happened, not just Kellen DeBoer leaving and then Washington's open. And then because of that, Arizona's open. And because of that, San Jose State's open. And because the DeBoer hire happens, you know, he ends up hiring two sitting head coaches. So those two jobs come open. Bruce, is there any doubt it all seems to be pointing that way with Sharon Moore, but is there is there any way it doesn't end up being him? I think it's a long shot that, that it wouldn't be. I mean, he's not just a guy who's revered inside the program, but also he was the guy who took over for Jim Harbaugh when the Big Ten suspended him. And so it wasn't like just like he was the interim head coach. He was the interim head coach who was thrown into the to the to the spotlight less than 24 hours before they played on the road against Penn State, won that. They won their, you know, their trap game that they had against Maryland the following week. And then the next week was the huge game against their arch rival, Ohio State, and they won that. I mean, I don't think you could have a guy who's, who's never officially been a head coach have a stronger case than Sharon Moore does for this job. Bruce Feldman with us, theathletic.com on 365 Sports. What do you think about his ability to recruit to the level that, I mean, he's been helping Jim Harbaugh do that, obviously, but that Jim Harbaugh was doing at Michigan, which, again, they're not a top five regular class, but um, Jim Harbaugh and that staff seem to have an eye for talent that they could develop really well and fit. They absolutely do. I mean, you see what they've done. You know, a lot of times it wasn't top, top three, top four, top five classes. But they know how to develop players. I think they did have a good eye for for guys who they thought had the determination, the physicality, the toughness. And that was really the backbone of this team that won a national title. It wasn't like, oh, we're loaded with five-star guys coming in. There's a few of them, but not many. It's really, you know, high-level three-star, four-star guys who just grinded away. It was old-style, physical, tough football. And I think ultimately, like Sharon Moore knew, you know, and saw what Jim Harbaugh, you know, wanted. I mean, Jim Harbaugh was a, was a former quarterback who's wired like a middle linebacker. And we saw what he was able to do at Stanford. I mean, people may have forgotten this, but like when he took over at Stanford, it was the worst power conference program. And it took him just a couple of years to turn into the bully of the West Coast and into a top five team before he left to go to the the NFL. Wasn't that why his quarterback at Michigan this year was really something that he had kind of this special relationship like most coaches do with the quarterback, but he kind of had that middle linebacker type mentality too. He did. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, you go back to that Penn state game, you know, they struggled a little bit dealing with, um, you know, dealing with, with the pressure and the edge rushers that, that Penn state had. And ultimately, you know, Sharon Moore ran the ball 32 times in a row, and nobody was happier about it than his quarterback. And J.J. McCarthy, who's a really talented kid, but he was like, listen, this is what, you know, this is what we what our, our, our blueprint, blueprint is. We're going to be the more physical team. And sure enough, it worked out great. Bruce, we know there's a ton of issues in college football right now. I mean, you can make a laundry list of them all. Um, and 
right now, it seems like there's a lot of guys that we're seeing landing on their third school, fourth school in the transfer portal, but we're also seeing a lot of sixth, seventh, eighth, even the case of one Miami guy, ninth-year players. I was just curious, for the players who are exhausting their eligibility, where does that sort of fall on the list of, uh, I guess, coaches and their discussions about things that they are not great with or or things that, that bother them about the current model? I'm sorry, say the beginning part again and cut out on me for a second. Yeah, so there's a, a bit of a logjam, as we know, because of the COVID year and all those things. Where does the fact that mm-hmm. we've got a glut of a lot of sixth, seventh, eighth, even in the case of one Miami player, ninth-year players, where does that sort of fall on, I guess, the issues list for coaches right now, knowing they have 100 issues on their plate at the moment? Yeah, I think the hardest thing for them is the roster management piece going on, you know, and the calendar, to be honest. And, and so much stuff is 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 – jam together and again like a lot of people aren't gonna you know woe is me for for uh for <laughs> the college football coaches and you know some are making you know millions and millions of dollars but i think the logistical part of this is still a challenge and i think you know it's probably mind-blowing to see cam mccormick is a ninth year senior going to be at miami and you have um, Alan Bowman is a seventh year, going to be a seventh year guy at Texas. At, at, I'm sorry, at Oklahoma State. He started out at Texas Tech, and it feels like these guys have been out, around there forever. And in some cases, they they pretty much have. Um, but I think, look, you know, because of NIL, I think some of these guys are are doing very well. Some of them are getting you know a lot of advanced degrees, and ultimately, I think that you know while that's while it may seem really weird, I think there's a lot of good that can come with it too. Bruce, um, you wrote a fantastic book called Kane Mutiny uh, years ago about Miami, and they are so far from that book right now comparatively to what they were when it came out. Uh, but they just got Cam Ward. Mario Cristobal is there. They seem to have given him a long leash to figure out what what they are now, like how who they can be. Can they be that again? Is Cam Ward the spark that they need to get back to being who they were? I think he's the spark they need to take the next big step. You know, they took a step from a really rough first year to this year. They weren't great. I mean, they lost to Rutgers in the bowl game. That's, you know, no matter how improved Rutgers is, it's still a pretty average team at best out of the Big Ten. Um, But they were struggling at quarterback. And I think Cam Ward, who obviously people around there know, and some of them will remember from his incarnate word days where he threw the ball all over the place with, Eric Morris and was really prolific and blossom there. And, um, you know, I, I think he's very talented. He's, as, he's probably as good as Miami's had there in that position in a while. He's going to play behind a really talented offensive line. They have a couple of good receivers. I think this team will be a, will take another big step forward. I don't, I mean, to not to, to push off your question, but like you got to be a top 20 team before you can be a, uh, title team or, or a team that even thinks of it, right? Like they gotta they gotta get to be pretty good before they can get to be very good. And I do think Cam Ward can help them to that. Um, like I said, they have some talent around them, but they haven't won. And you know, on the offensive line, they could be really, really good. And that's a, you know, as we see with Michigan, as we saw with Washington, that's a great building block. But now they need to surround them with better players on the defense. They have some. You know, they have a handful of the guys that can can 
lay the foundation to getting Cristobal to where he wants to go. You know, they have one of the best young defensive linemen, defensive linemen in all of college football. They have arguably the most talented uh, offensive tackle in college football. Those guys came in as true freshmen and lived up to the hype. Now they need Cam Ward to really help light the spark of a team that really needed some leadership in the locker room, quite honestly. Bruce, last thing, you write a lot of features, columns, and, and cover, and you're, you know, of course, on television, too. What you do with uh, helping run the athletic.com, do you have a list like coaches or eight, like ADs do? If they have a coach leave, they have to have three or four or five names on a little small sheet. Do you have a constant churning of story ideas? And how often do they just get wiped out because of then something that currently occurs? Yes, and it happens quite a bit. Like right now, there's something I'm working on, and there's another story that I kind of, when I say committed to, told my editors, hey, I want to do this. And it becomes a lower priority. It gets pushed to the back burner. Um, and that that happens. I mean, that's a good problem to have. You know, hopefully you're not making the people you talk to, you know, kind of wait for a story. You took their time up and, you know, for that. But, you know, like college football, I mean, I love what I get to do. and I love how, we, you know, the system we have at The Athletic. We have a lot of really good writers and editors to work with. And I feel like there's a lot of people, um, you know, you can talk about story ideas about. And it's fun. I mean, I, you know, we have such a great sport to cover. I know there's a lot of times where we talk about stuff that's kind of like sometimes makes people cringe or people are like, yeah, this is wrong. This needs to be fixed. But there's just so many great things. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of minutes ago, I mentioned Alan Bowman. And in the uh, um, in the last summer, he and a bunch of his receivers from Oklahoma State came out here to Southern California to train with George Whitfield. And I remember spending the day with them. And not just Alan Bowman, a couple of the receivers were so impressive, you know, not just on the field, but when you talk to them and hear their stories. And, like, I got a ton of respect for, you know, Alan um, you know, he's got this great business degree that he got from Michigan when he when he was the third string guy. He decided mm-hmm. to stay there because he wanted to get this, you know, this business degree, which is like, you know, I think sometimes we forget because we just watch these guys on the field that there's really some, you know, remarkable people, really impressive young guys behind them. And so to get to tell those stories is, is you know, I feel like something that's like a privilege to do that. Bruce, as always, thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Uh, The Athletic, Bruce Feldman, senior columnist and writer for TheAthletic.com, and always a great guest to get to. And we, as you know, have a lot of their columnists and writers and analysts who join us on this specific show. I wonder if you're an NFL scout and you watch dozens and dozens and dozens of, I would think, as many plays as you can of Penix. Do you watch the game with Texas and see how – efficient and sharp and damn good as he was against Texas, where he had some pressures but not really, stepped up, always seemed to make the right call? Or do you then put more credence into what you saw Michigan do, who eventually had him limping and grabbing his flak jacket a lot because he had had his ribs probably 
torn to shreds on the inside. Yeah, I don't think you kind of drill down too much on one game, you know, or the other. But I think it shows, like, yeah, look, nobody's invincible. Like, you know, um, Caleb Williams is going to be the first pick in the draft. He's had bad games. You know, he's, you know, you can go back to the, the time he was in Oklahoma here against Baylor. They, I mean, they twisted him up like a pretzel. Spencer yeah. Rattler came in the game, you know, like, and that, that was, you know, everybody thought he was Superman at the time, and he is. But, again, nobody's – Nobody's perfect when it comes to it. I, I would think, though, that Texas game is a big one because it shows what he can do when things go right. And look, as much as he got beat up against Michigan, like, of his, like, if that's the worst game he's going to play, like, I'll take it, right? I mean, it, he still had them in the game until pretty much the very end, and then things started to get desperate. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I would think that. You know, you judge him on how bad was he as a desperate quarterback, and it really wasn't that bad because you've seen some that, like, get desperate, and, it, man, it's, it is an avalanche of bad. Yeah, I think uh, if you're putting too much weight on one game in particular, then you're probably not a very good draft scout because there's a big, whole, wide library of Michael Penix games to watch and get a great feel and not really circle one game as his – this is how good he is or how bad he is or this is how you define him. I think that uh, for a guy who's bounced around and played a lot of college football, uh, you can soak up a lot of things, and it's not necessarily a game or two going to tell you the whole tale. But he had a really great year, and I think he'll be attractive and uh, somebody that some teams out there are obviously going to want, but it'll just come down to the fit. Like who looks at him and says, like, that's what fits what we want to do, and here's things that we can improve, and here's things to get better, and then who are those who are – preferring to go after a different style of quarterback or somebody with a little bit different, I guess, decision-making or style or, or whatever the intangibles may be. I think it's in the eye of the beholder. I think everybody would agree he's a really talented guy, but does he fit every team in the NFL? No, not necessarily. So uh, excited to see where he goes. I mean, that's a very interesting name rolling into this draft. The quarterbacks group as a whole will be – one of those that we talk to death here over the next couple of months because we always do, but he's right there in that mix of really talented names we've been watching these last few years, and I'm excited to see how all of those chips fall, especially having a team that's going to be drafting right there near the top and probably going after one of those guys. Not a Michael Penix at number two, but one of the, the top, top quarterbacks, and then how those dominoes fall will dictate probably where a guy like him lands, whether it's sooner rather than later, but yeah, no doubt he's going to get an opportunity. Just don't know how early it will come, and uh, his game will, will suit the NFL, I think, just fine. We've watched it change over the years. This isn't the old-school complaining like Saban was years and years ago about the up-tempo spread. I mean, that's the NFL now. They're doing a lot of what college has been doing over the last few years, so he'll fit in just fine, and, and you don't put too much weight on one performance versus the other when you've got however many games it was he ended up playing ultimately uh, over his career. I mean, dozens yeah. of games, so. I want to go back to uh, – I, 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 I hope he has success. I hope he's given the sure. right opportunity and in the right – again, a lot of times quarterback success is the system you're in. I don't know about system. It's who's around you, and sometimes guys just make a team a lot better. It's, look. But I, uh, I, I'd love to see him have success want, because of what he has been through. Here's what I want for him. I want good ownership in a good front office and a good coach that won't, like – I think it's the best ones are the ones who don't a, need and a great O line and a great, and a great awesome ownership, great front office, great <laughs> like that, like that's, that's like there's seven. But of if those. you don't have like here's the deal, if you don't have those top three, if you don't have that great ownership, you know it can get really messy for you. If you have, I mean, who allows ask, those who are the front office yeah. to do their job ask, and work with the head coach? Ask ask any um, 
you know, player who's ever played for the Browns about how they feel about the way that the organization runs. I mean, it, it just, it's a mess. The you know, even the in corner, the good though, seasons, it's they, a mess, right? You know, like, it's it's just, it, they they navigated through this year very well, the Browns did, and I'm and, and very good for them. But, you know, they, they wouldn't have to if they did it better. You know, that they just had leadership. But I do think Michael Penix is going to get, he'll probably get into the first round because, He's a really good quarterback, and quarterbacks do, but he's not going to go high in the first oh, round. He's got a bit of an injury history, too. Like That's, yeah, that's something so, that needs to be taken into account. Yeah. So. There'll be some red flags. So that, a lot that's of what yep. will drop him down. But So the, the team that might get him could be a team like, say, the Rams or you know someone who has someone at the quarterback he can develop for a little bit and then go. Which so. is what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's just about what year and when you're drafted, whether you're a team that is drafting one or two because they are awful, and they're going to screw up even if they get one of those. And let, like Mahomes, remember he was he was going to go like what mid first round, and they traded up to get him. Mahomes was not drafted very high. I forgot what they gave Buffalo to draft Mahomes, he but was he was not, he was drafted high. He was tenth. Yeah, I'm 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 talking about Kansas City moved up though to draft him. Because he was going to fall maybe another, what, four or five spots? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, they thought he was a system quarterback with with uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And, you know, they say, oh, well, he's a bit of a combine warrior and a system quarterback. And, you know, then when Andy Reid, you know, the best offensive head coach of a generation gets his hands on you and you get to sit for a year too behind Alex Smith, which he did. It's like what Bill Walsh really did well in San Francisco yeah. with the quarterbacks. Of course, it doesn't hurt. I know you're not making this comparison. He is nowhere close to Patrick Mahomes no, in no, any no, way, shape, no, or form. No, uh, and he needs an O-line. That's the number one yeah. thing. If you draft him on a team well, with a bat. Who doesn't, though? But you're right with him especially. Yeah, uh, he, Him especially is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah. I know everybody does, but him especially, if you watch his career when he's not had – a Joe Moore award-winning O-line, and even when he has the Michigan game, if he's not able to sit in the pocket and just kind of do his thing, there's not a lot of other things that are super attractive because he's not going to kill you with his feet necessarily. And I know like in the Texas game, you felt like there were some openings there. Not to say you can't create openings or there aren't openings based on what the defense is doing, but that's just not, I think, typically his strong suit and a part of his game that you really uh, lean on as much as if he can stay comfortable and in that pocket and just have a little bit of time to throw it down the field, he's he's aces. I mean, he's he's tremendous, and you see the amount of big plays, but when those big plays aren't hitting for one reason or another, that can go sideways really quick, and we saw that in the national title game when he was getting banged up and getting a lot of pressure. It was just no, nowhere close to looking like even the same player that we had seen the week prior many times during the season. So, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a fun guy to root for, though. Uh, I think the medicals will probably ding him a little bit, but I'm not going to pretend to know to to what extent. And that's a fun quarterback group to start to sort through well, now as we start marching down the, the path to the draft. And he just needs to rest his body a little bit too because that's a long – we're talking about 15 games now or whatever it might be uh, when you go as deep as Washington did uh, and, again, eventually against Michigan too. So it'll be fun. I, I wish him the best. All right, uh, just around the corner, Kendall Cout on the Big 12 and Ben's basketball. Have a hell of a game just around the corner at the Foster Pavilion tomorrow afternoon with uh, TCU, who can jump on you in a hurry if you're not careful, and also Baylor reeling after a couple of losses. Plus, we'll look at the rest of the Big 12 schedule and more. And this is 365 Sports. Zoom with lots of room. Average your car.
know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. Pleasant. It's different than any other dentist's office. I really feel like they care. And it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy. And, you know, I bring my kids and my kids love being here too. They really love the treasure box. Staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. <laughs> I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more stonewood-dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL fund baylorbears.com slash gxg contributions to support nil activations through gxg can be made at baylorbears.com slash gxg for more information follow at gxg underscore green x gold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com gxg empowering student athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL Activations. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Thanks to everybody as you watch or listen or both 365 Sports. Whenever you pick us up right now, of course, this show takes you up until 6 o'clock and we still have plenty to get to. But right now, we college basketball, the Big 12, and yet another full weekend of some damn good games coming up this weekend Kendall Cal, 365 Sports College Basketball Analyst, joins us. There are actually two games among two top 25 teams, plus Baylor hosting TCU, Texas at top a 21st-ranked BYU, and Houston at home against Kansas State. Kendall, is it one of those where, uh, you know, in, in the days of football, they used to have that drill where you'd get in the middle, the bull ring or whatever, and everywhere you looked, you got hit with a, a pad, or somebody tackling you. Is that what it's like to describe the Big 12 night in and night out? 
I think absolutely, Smokey. Uh, KU probably, by most estimates, almost every season is predicted to win the league. They go to UCF. They lose. Who's the team predicted to finish last to start the season? West Virginia, 13th in the Big 12 by most analytics ratings and by most predictive ratings entering the season. What happens? KU goes there and loses as well. Other than Oklahoma State, all 13 teams I think can legitimately say right now, if things break right, we can make the NCAA tournament. And when there were 10 teams, we talk about, well, if there are eight that can make it, that's such a deep league. Now with 13 out of 14, I don't know if the top of the Big 12 is as good as it's been in some of its heydays, like in 2020, when Baylor and KU were battling as some of the top two teams in the country and that magnificent Saturday game right before COVID into the season. But I think 1-13 to 13, the league is so phenomenal this season. It would match up very well with 1-10 to 10 any other season prior. Kendall, Baylor's lost two road games in a row, one at the buzzer, one in double overtime. Is there something wrong with them that's different than before, or is that something maybe not to panic about until we see them at home against TCU tomorrow? Yep. Uh, Paul, I think this season when Baylor's good, it's very good, and when it's bad, it's very bad. And I think the bad becomes very bad. That margin of error is much worse than it's been in the past. The contrast between how Baylor lost those two games last week, I was in Manhattan, and I couldn't remember seeing Baylor shoot so poorly in any game. And you look at that game and say, it seemed like K-State got a little lucky with how poorly Baylor shot. I think that's true. What I also think is true is that Baylor does not have the capacity when it's playing its B or C game to just come in and win anymore because they're liable to make some of the mistakes you wouldn't like to see. In that K-State game, Josh Luna gets off by a rotation, suddenly fouls Arthur Kaluma in overtime, Baylor doesn't get a chance to win the game at the end. Texas game, Baylor plays sloppy defense, but the effort running around screens was bad. And then suddenly you look back and you give yourself an opportunity to have somebody make a layup on Langston Love to end the game. So I think the difference with this year's Baylor squad is the bad moments have been so bad, they've overwhelmed the good moments. Whereas in past years, Davion Mitchell, you know, will go out and get you a steal of possession later. Or Adam Flagler is going to hit two crazy threes so he can make up the distance. Baylor's not a make-up-the-distance team like it's been in the past. With, I guess, close to 20 games played now at this point, Kendall, and getting halfway into conference play, how have your expectations or what you thought would kind of play out with this team, how has that changed, if at all, so far? I think, Craig, my expectation would be that Baylor's ceiling might be a tick lower than I thought. I still think there's not necessarily a dominant team other than maybe Houston out there, and they opened Big 12 play with two losses, which shows that the Cougars are certainly vulnerable as well. So I think the ceiling's a little bit lower than I thought. But still, other than the debacle against Michigan State, Baylor's been in every game this season. And I think the ability for Baylor to stay in games will be there. It'll be a question of how good can Ray J. Dennis be down the stretch and can he elevate his play from where it was this past week. You know, Kendall, I was at the game against Cincinnati, and I've watched them. I, you know, like you said, that they can be either really, really good or really, really bad. I, I don't get a read on them at all. And, of course, that's not something that I'm an expert at anyway. But – uh, it it just seems like they're just hit and miss. Is there is is it a rotational thing that Scott's still working on? I think there's something to the rotations need to be either tightened up or Baylor needs to make a different decision in some respects, Smokey. But I do agree with your comment about kind of what is Baylor's identity. And if you look at who they are defensively in particular, Baylor ranks between 120th and 150th in field goal defense, turning opponents over, defensive rebounding, and free throw rate. And the optimist could say, well, isn't that nice? Baylor's not bad at anything. But the pessimist could look at that and say, well, what's the identity of this team? If you're at the end of the game and you need to stop, and you're a team that dominates defensive rebounding, you can say, 
if we get one stop, we know we're getting the ball back. Or if you're a team that forces turnovers, you can say we're going to go out and take something. Or if you're a great defensive team, you can say they're not going to get a good shot. The problem for Baylor, I think, is they need to try and excel in one of these categories and take a risk. They'll take a step back in one. And the one I might look at is I think Baylor needs to be more aggressive, try and generate more turnovers with the length they have, and not just settle for we're okay in everything. And the end result become if you're mediocre in everything, you're not going to be more than a mediocre team in that second game in the NCAA tournament. Kendall, um, when, with that identity, you know, that they, they match these things every year. Everybody does it through the transfer portal. Did they not – are they just like 10 degrees off on the match for all the guys that they have there? I think there is something, Paul, to not everyone lines up perfectly. And this is the challenge. You look across the sport. KU is either the worst it's been other than maybe that season that got blown out by USC a few years back. This is probably one of the two or three worst Bill Self teams in his tenure. What happens? He has to bring in a lot of transfer guys, and even worse for KU, they bring in Arturio Morris, who now isn't even on the team and is facing his own legal repercussions off the court. I think the challenge with the transfer portal, even in football, I think this was seen to some degree that in an era where there weren't so many transfers, it might have been tougher for Michigan to line up and have the dominance it had on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So I think the transfers make it harder to say every season you're going to be a top-five team, which is where Baylor might have been trending if it could get the two- or three-year guys. But even somebody like LJ Cryer, who was so dominant at Baylor his last season, can look around and say, well, why didn't I play my first two years in transfer? So building teams like Baylor had built for the championship run, like KU had built in its most successful era, is maybe not as stable as a pathway. And so I do think there'll be more variance among Baylor's not going to drop down to where it was at times in 2011. But the idea that either Baylor, KU, or anyone else is always going to be a top five team year in and year out may not be as possible as it was five or ten years ago. Kendall, among all these these new faces, what have been your thoughts on a couple of those high-profile freshmen in Jacoby Walter and also uh, Eves Missy? I think Jacoby Walter has been excellent uh, his, on offense, but his defense certainly needs to improve. His lateral quickness is probably what's going to keep him out of the top five in the NBA draft where he might have been trending that way and what by most analysts' expectations is a pretty weak draft. I think Eves Missy's blown away expectations. Great on putbacks, can defend well. I think he's also defended well on the perimeter. So those two guys have done well. I think in the last week, Jaden Nunn played his best basketball week at Baylor. He's asked to guard the primary ball handler for teams, did well there. And I thought he showed more of a willingness against Texas to shoot threes. So that was exceptional for Baylor, where it looked like maybe he was trending out of the rotation. I thought Ray J. Dennis, though, had his worst week as a Bear, and he has to step up this week. I mean, two points against Texas, not good enough. He has, I think, what, two of 11 from the field or something like that against mm-hmm. K-State. Not a good enough week for Ray J. Dennis, as Baylor's offense tends to go as the point guard goes. And so he has to play at a higher level if Baylor wants to think it can compete with Houston and whoever else emerges from the pack of those middling teams. And when I say middling, it's not a bad place to be in the Big 12, but if you want to clearly contend with Houston and be in that 1-2-3 range, you've got to get better point guard play than Baylor got last week. Has Jacoby Walter, speaking of him, has he actually shown that he's a one-and-done? I think he has, Smokey, because potential is so important. The way he runs off of screens is elite. The way he can make catch-and-shoot jumpers, I think, is really valuable in the NBA. And his offensive efficiency has taken off there. I think the difficulties he has defensively aren't going to manifest as much. Keontae George is kind of in that rare position where, other than his last week's struggles, he's been a better NBA player than college player Mm -hmm. because he's not asked to do as much defensively as Jacoby was asked to do this season and Keontae was last year, but certainly agree with the sentiment that Jacoby Walter has real flaws defensively. 
and that would make him concerning if you were saying, hey, is he going to be the number one or two option on a team? But you know you can bring Jacoby in as a guy who can make 15 or 18 points a game, hitting threes, and then you hope by the time he's 23, 24, he's a better defender. By the way, TCU has three losses in the conference. They lost by two at Kansas in a game where they might have gotten screwed on a call. Right, Paul? Sure. Uh, <laughs> no comment. Cincinnati by four on the road and then lost in a hell of a game at home by one to Iowa State. I think they're dangerous. And they can – they can. And I know Baylor's offense can score, but it's a team that can jump on you pretty quickly if you're not careful. There's zero doubt, Smokey, that TCU could win this game. Emmanuel Miller's been around forever and has been an excellent player. Avery Anderson from back in the Oklahoma State days is now in Fort Worth. And you look at maybe if you're TCU and you've lost some close ball games, I think two things stick out there. One, uh, TCU played an embarrassing non-conference schedule. I mean, you look at it, this is embarrassing. Jamie Dixon's squad's way too talented to play it. The flip side of that is that because they played such a bad schedule, I think it's easy once you play a team with a pulse, kind of like where Baylor, I thought, ended up after not having played the toughest teams in the early part of the non-conference, and you suddenly face Michigan State, and you wonder – you know, why do these guys move a little better than some of the teams we've played? But Baylor obviously challenged themselves a lot more than TCU. The two concerns I'd have for Baylor against the Horn Frogs this weekend, Smokey, are first that I think Jameer Nelson Jr. is a better shooter than he's been. And the second would be that TCU played such a weak non-conference schedule that I think it's taken them a minute to get to where they could be. But beating Houston, having all those close games you mentioned, are why TCU is a legitimate threat and why it wouldn't shock me if they finished in the top three in the league. Jameer Nelson Jr. I'm getting so old, Kendall. <laughs> oh, I feel old about oh, that too. Jameer Nelson Jr. Did, yeah. I, did that skip by me? I did like my yeah. goodness. Yeah. No, I mean it's yeah, but it's just it's funny to think about just how time flies by. Kendall of the newcomers, we all expected Houston was going to be able to jump and get into the mix pretty quickly, and they they take a, a few more losses than they typically would in American play. But has anything in particular stood out to you from the four new schools? Not necessarily a rundown, unless you want to do that. But has anything? I I guess come to top of mind when you think of just the four newcomers and their entry into the league so far. Yep. Obviously, Craig, you could talk about how great Houston is analytically. They're running away from the field right now, but I think UCF being a team that's competent and has a pulse has probably surprised people at times in the non-con. It seemed like this team was going to easily finish last in the league, but as mentioned, wins over KU, a win over Texas that caused that Rodney Terry, whatever's going on with him there. Other than Houston blowing him out in K-State kind of putting the hurt on them. They've been competitive in just about every game this season. Uh, I think that's a team that has a real shot to make the NCAA tournament, and that might be a situation where the rising tide of Big 12 competition lifted that boat. Uh, Kendall, I want to go back a couple of seconds ago. Uh, Smokey mentioned the Kansas thing. You're an attorney. Um, How do I uh, answer those questions when I'm uh, boxed into a corner between my co-host and my wife uh, so where I can keep it, uh, you know, Sounding legally America, smart. his wife is a KU fan, and Paul's <laughs> petrified to say anything that's true even, uh, about them, even if it's true. You don't have to go home to her, so <laughs> she has my uh, number. And my, that's very first. So my fiance uh, is a KU grad for both undergrad and law school. What is so going on here? Fan. <laughs> I, I, know, I know the Jayhawks are everywhere now. What can we do? Yeah. So uh, you didn't guess, yeah, well, answer it for me. You have to deal with it, too, then. Yep. I think uh, for everybody. What I would say is you just credit KU where they're good, and if they're doing something poorly, you just say, well, you know Bill Self, anything could always turn around, and what could he do there? And then you mention, well, this team's a lot worse than past KU teams for all this, all these reasons, and doesn't it really make you miss Devontae Graham? And the thing about KU fans is they love to talk about their past guys, so you just say, yeah, you know, this team's missing a Devontae Graham or a Joel Embiid, and they'll wax about those people, and they'll forget, oh, yeah, you just insulted my team. So 
it's one compliment, kind of peanut buttered around the insults, and it seems to work out. But uh, what do I know? Maybe the KU fans will attack me later on anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kendall. I appreciate it. By the way, Devontae Graham, her favorite all-time. Uh, you, you were the one that offended the entire Oklahoma fan base, weren't it? Was it you that did that? It was. Oh, sm- Smokey, no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, I know OU's ecstatic to go to the SEC thinking, you know, things are going to turn around for Oklahoma. But uh, I remain steadfast that Oklahoma did not win the Big 12 this season. And if they go three more years not winning the Big 12, somebody owes $1,000 to charity. I'll find them on Twitter, but um, I'm not going to insult the OU fan base any more than what the SEC, I think, is going to insult them before too long. Wait, it, it, <laughs> oh As an Oklahoma fan, I'm totally fine with what he's saying because I partially agree with him, actually, yeah. in, in some ways. But what's the, what's the bet again, just for a reminder? It was OU will not win a Big 12 or SEC title in the next five seasons. We're now oh. two seasons into that bet, so they got to win the SEC in the next three seasons, Oof. which, you know, would seem very tough to me given Georgia still exists, but yeah. um, maybe it could happen. I certainly think Aggies on the downslope. Um, so you still feel those Aggie recruits, maybe things can get going for Venables down in Norman. Well, I think your odds have increased dramatically after this past season. Cause if you were banking on them winning, like it would have been these last couple of years in the big yeah. 12 was the easiest path. And now, yeah, like who the heck knows how that's going to occur. So yeah, just if we did a power poll of the sec, as of what we know today, where would they be among the 16? Like seven, six, somewhere, and I think. I mean, I, Oklahoma's and, Oklahoma. We but, at highest like five, maybe. Would they be ahead of Georgia? No. no. Texas. No. no. L. A. No. Uh, uh, b- 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 Ole Miss. No. Not right now. Not I think time. that's where we kind of start yeah. to. We don't really know enough about area. them. Yeah, I, but I think Texas no and Alabama no. But they just beat Texas last year, so. You know, there's yeah, there's that. Georgia's the one we can say definitively. They are not better than Georgia. But besides that, I mean, it is Oklahoma. But, I mean, winning the SEC is a, a pretty tall task. So, yeah, we'll it, see how that goes. It wasn't easy for them recently to win the Big 12. So, much less to, now with the SEC. They're in it also with Texas loaded up. It seems like at just the right time. All right, Kendall. Thank you, sir. Kendall Count covers uh, men's basketball, 365 Sports and also Sikkim365.com. He, he put himself out there. $1,000. Well, I mean. That's rich. The two years for them to do it just passed. So, three years. I can definitely see Oklahoma winning the SEC. It's Oklahoma. But at the same time, I can also see a scenario where they don't. Because there's a bunch of Oklahomas in that conference. Or teams that are just below Oklahoma in your little tier system there. Um, I don't know. It's It's going to be incredibly fascinating just seeing how all of that works because it's going to be so new to our eyes next year when they're sitting there with the SEC logo on their gear and they're lining up against Ole Miss and, you know, playing in the Grove and and doing all those types of things. It's going to be so, so different, such a departure from what we've ever known. And so I don't know what to expect outside of they've won everywhere they've been in their history with multiple coaches over multiple decades and multiple every award you can think of, but at the same time, this is a different type of a grind than the one that they've been on the last few years in terms of the amount of opponents they're going to see on a regular basis that can look them eye to eye because they really only had one of those for the last 20 years. I mean, as far as money and history and everything else that comes with that, uh, they were always looking their nose down and looking eye-to-eye with Texas, if not looking a little bit down on Texas in some area here and there, but for the most part, equals. And that's going to be the same case with Georgia and Tennessee and Florida and Bama and And LSU. LSU. And, I mean, so, I mean, that alone, there's a handful that I just reeled off. And there's 
there's others that are kind of can hover and, and join that mix in any given I tell year. You who's trying to join it right now is Missouri. Right. I mean, they, they got a, a good thing rival. going. Yeah. So that's yeah. another team that's going to be, you know, a renewed rivalry. And they have their years where they might be a little bit better. And, and they had years where they were a little bit better well, sometimes, than, you know, in the previous uh, Big 12. But. The Katie, old, Katie Raiders, by the way, very upset because we didn't mention Tech. Or Kendall yeah. did not mention Texas oh. Tech. And Katie Raider... We Make just did. Okay. Right. I, I, I will love, say. Love Graham McCaslin and what he's got going on there. They're, yeah, they're a good team, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Oklahoma, for years, to your point, Craig, has played in a conference where only one other team has won a modern national championship. That recruits on their level. Yeah. I mean, that's so, another thing. They've had a recruiting advantage, I mean, a wide one, for, for, for a, a long for time. For a decade. Over, and then before that. Yeah, like, modern, modern would be 25 or so years. Yeah, that's so about like, the, yeah, they've yeah. only played. Okay, so over the last 30 years, they've only played in a conference with two of those. So with Nebraska and and Texas right. are the only two teams that they've played regularly in, other than in the conference yeah. that they're in yeah. that are on their level. So they're going to a conference now that has six of those. Yeah, and and, and again, some teams that right now like Florida, who's kind of hit and miss. Uh, you never know in a year or two because uh, everyone could have said that about Texas a couple of two or three years ago when the news came down that they're going to join the SEC. And right now, because of the way football is with the the portal and NIL and the, they got stability. I mean, they're loaded up, and so Oklahoma needs to get to that point, and and maybe they will because again, there's a reason why they have the tradition of Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, but there's part of me that's just I'm, – I'm realistic, for better or worse. And so, yeah, I don't think they're just going to roll in and just start winning titles right away. It's possible that they could with the right mix of guys if Jackson Arnold turns out to be just that dude and Brent Venables gets the defense fixed up and all that clicks, and it's certainly possible. I, I expect them to be in the mix. Don't get me wrong. I'm not acting like they're not going to be going to bowl games or being a 10-win team anymore or anything like that. I just don't know that, that the years of winning conference titles consistently are – are realistic anymore because I, I just think the landscape in general in college football, when you start talking about like 16-team leagues, I think it's just in general it's going to be harder for everybody to win conference titles on a regular basis, much less when you're joining arguably the toughest league. And I think it's not an exact science because the transfer portal changes everything. Like when you could just look at recruiting rankings and you had that to go off of and nothing more, it was pretty black and white. But now you throw in the transfer portal and being you can the get top, healthy pretty quickly. Yeah, you can get healthy pretty quickly. But one thing that's definitely noticeable is if they were not the first team in recruiting in the Big 12 every year, there was only one other team that was number one in recruiting in the Big 12, and that was Texas. Yep. And if they were, if Oklahoma was number one, then Texas was number two. And that was automatic. And now you jump into a league where the number one team in the entire country is in that league, and the number two team in the entire country is in that league, and the number five, and the number seven, and the number eight, and then you are at number nine. So there's a handful of teams alone that are in the top ten that are in your league that are above you, not to mention the ones that are like two, three spots behind, like a Tennessee or a Florida. So, yeah, that's all going to be really interesting of how the – uh, the just the new SEC starts to kind of evolve with those two teams joining the fray. It's going to be fascinating. What you have to do is if you can get a good high school football recruiting base and do it consistently like the teams you just mentioned, and then when you have people leave because they're so good they can go to the next level, the transfer portal allows you to pick and choose who you want. And right now those teams you just mentioned are also doing that along with being a part of of a top 10 class, and Oklahoma will have to do that in the portal along with what they've done. I don't think they're going to take a dip in recruiting. I saw where, with all due respect, Dustin, I saw that. I, I, 
they're a national brand. They have been a national brand. The, the old days of when they would raid Texas, that's been over for 15 or 20 years. They're a tough five all They're a, absolutely uh, now a national brand in recruiting, too, from California to the East Coast. And, uh, and being in the SEC is going to help them as much as it was. Uh, it will help Texas or anyone else that's a part of that conference. When we come back, go ahead. You want to wrap? Um, okay. okay. When we come back, we're going to get to the chat room with a, a few of your comments. Katie Rader said that she was very up, or he, very upset, was a little bit, a little bit much. I was upset for you, Katie Rader. I was upset Texas that he was Tech upset is, that you were upset. They, they do lead. They do lead the Big 12 yep. right now, men's standings at four and one with a half-game lead. Speaking of that, we'll look at the games this weekend and a, a lot more. This is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC, Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on and have been able to count on for over two decades here in the Central Texas area. Great people uh, who are there willing and waiting and ready to uh, make car buying or car fixing up or anything you're looking to do with your automobile easier and a nice process that's not stressful and not one where you walk away and you don't feel like you got done what you needed to get done or you're unsure about your vehicle they're going to let you walk away with the greatest thing imaginable and that's peace of mind when it comes to your vehicle as well as some great pricing and some great offers depending on what you're looking to get done when you talk to the fine folks over at Richard Carr and right now if you're looking for a brand new vehicle and in particular a brand new truck don't get a truck, get the truck, and the truck is the GMC Sierra from Richard Carr with a stunning interior, power, and strength. It's a truck that has it all, and they've got hundreds of GMC Sierras on the lot ready to move right now at a great price. And thanks to holiday savings on cars and trucks happening right now, you can save thousands on the GMC Sierra. And if you are looking to trade in a vehicle, and uh, then get yourself into a Sierra, how about qualified buyers with a trade saving 10000 on a GMC Sierra SLT crew cab. Plus, if you're a military or first responder, save an additional $500 on that as well. So there's the GMC Sierra. Uh, check that out right now over at Richard Carr and take advantage of those great deals. But if you're looking to not buy brand new, you're looking to roll something with a little bit of uh, – I guess, mileage on it, but something still in tip-top shape and that gives you that peace of mind. Well, they've got a lot full of quality-owned pre, pre-owned cars and trucks as well, 100 used cars and trucks to pick from, all of them sitting there with a 172-point inspection and that Richard Carr seal of approval plus a financing goal of 100% credit approval over at Richard Carr as they want to say yes when others say no. So check out the folks that have been in business for 24 years in the area and has built a reputation as the people you can count on for your automotive needs in Central Texas run by proud locals, proud Central Texans, and proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. 
Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally hear. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. Thank you for calling your local Marco's Pizza. We're turning up the heat with our new Reaper Cheesy Bread. Fresh, house-made dough is topped with a spicy cheese blend infused with jalapeno, habanero, and Carolina Reaper peppers. At only $5.99, this limited-time product is a hot deal. Add it to your order while you can. A Marco's team member will be with you shortly. Marco's Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. And that offer on the Reaper Cheesy Bread is available right now at any of the five Marco's Pizza locations in Waco, including Bell Mead, Chida Spring, Robin Woodway and Hewitt. Order online at Marcos.com. Call for a pickup or delivery. Marcos Pizza is turning up the heat with their all-new Reaper Cheesy Bread with fresh, hot, house-made dough topped with a spicy cheese blend infused with jalapeno, habanero, and Carolina Reaper peppers and only $5.99 and for a limited time only. Marcos Pizza, the fastest-growing pizza brand in America, five locations in Waco, and the new Reaper Cheesy Bread. Marcos Pizza. Pizza lovers get it. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. The chat right now, a lot of uh, uh, kind of what we were just discussing about teams and how they will, when they enter new conferences, how much will it help or hurt the recruiting. Uh, I, Craig just discussed uh, what Oklahoma and Texas are facing uh, and Texas seems to have they're on the uptick. Oklahoma is again Oklahoma and and they they'll be just fine and if it doesn't work out they'll find somebody to make sure it works. Barry Crawford, UT has momentum, a strong head coach coming off a conference title and a playoff bid. OU is coming off a third consecutive year where they didn't make the conference title game. And and that's true. That's that's no one's debating uh that either. Yeah, I mean momentum can switch quickly though. They also came off a year where they beat that Texas team. So, you know, there's that going for them. And one of the only ones to be able to claim that, um, I think my conversation is less about recruiting. And I guess mentioning recruiting is more about that they're just going to be in uh, much warmer waters when it comes to seeing teams on a weekly basis that are more along their same pedigree as opposed to playing a team that's like 42nd in recruiting and now they're playing a team that's number five and ahead of them in recruiting, and it's not a team named Texas. And, and five even or six times a year. Yeah, five or six times a year, depending on how the schedule lays out. That's just the big difference to me is the talent level where they've been able to have more talent 
arguably, than everybody other than their arch rival any given year for 20 years is this is no longer the case. And so how does that change things? I don't know because it's a different era entirely with a portal. All that can be corrected very quickly. I'm not worried about their recruiting. I'm just saying in terms of 10 wins being a layup or being in the conference championship game, like, yeah, that's not a given, and it hasn't been a given uh, the conference title game here in the last couple years. Um, they're going to appear in some, but it's just, again, not going to be – as automatic as it felt for the longest of time, you know, here in the Big 12. So, yeah, that's that's going to be the biggest difference to me. And those schools have, again, they're always in the top 10 when it comes to recruiting classes, or most of the time. But even then, one of the things about the Big 12 is you'd have Oklahoma State one year jump up and get you. One year it was Iowa State. One year it was TCU. One year it was Baylor. One year and, – and so with the SEC, you have a little bit more of a chunk. And then even Mike – have somebody that's a part of that conference still come up and bite you. We'll have John Wilner here in about two minutes on 365 Sports. And the same applies to Texas. Like, I, all the momentum in the world, and they're living good, and this is the best offseason imaginable, and you got Harbaugh retiring and Saban – or Harbaugh leaving and Saban retiring. I mean, that just boosts them up a couple more spots. And and where they are right now is is right there near the top. I mean, they can, they can see it, and they can – can almost feel their fingertips on the the apex but not quite there yet and that's going to be the same thing for them like they're still going to recruit really well they're still going to be really good and right now they're they're really good but just the week to every couple of weeks of facing you're facing Tennessee and you're facing Georgia and you're facing however the schedule works out don't think either of those teams are going to suddenly turn into lowly <laughs> you know, uh, Vanderbilt style or even where Arkansas or Florida find themselves plunging on occasion uh, or various others rotate in and out of the, the bottom of the standings. But I, I just – I wonder what that's going to look like. That's just where my head is. Not not a prediction so, so much as it's just, man, it's going to be really interesting how it – when you have all of these these big teams compiled, how that shakes somebody's out Somebody's going to drop. Year. Yeah. Somebody's got to slip, and maybe it's not who you think it is, and uh, it will be uh, – Really kind of fun to watch and yeah. kind of see how it plays out because we won't be talking about what if, but actual wins, losses, the battering ram, you get on the wrong side of two or three weeks in a row, and, man, you're, you're doing something you're not used to doing, which might be losing multiple games in a row. And maybe it doesn't matter because there's an expanded playoff and you can still lose a couple games, and it's it's totally fine. You're still in the playoff and you can go make a run there. But I was mentioning just last year's recruiting rankings and where you look at it and where you see – suddenly where you were in a league where there's only one other team that's anywhere in the vicinity of you, and now there's like four teams above you, and then two or three others that are right behind you. And I didn't even mention A&M when they hit their recruiting peak, and just a few, like they were up there at number one just a couple of years ago. Now we know that totally cratered and didn't work out very well, but still applies that that's a team that also can get there and get in the mix in recruiting as well. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about recruiting for either one of those schools. I'm not really worried for either one of those schools. I just think it's going to be immensely interesting initially to just see how they kind of get into the water and, and how deep it gets, how quickly, if it if it gets deep quickly at all. John Wilner joins us, the Wilner Hotline. There's uh, always something going on, especially when it comes to a couple of features, articles he's written, one on how Oregon State and Washington State, despite everything, are in a pretty good spot right now. And then we'll even get into what is a true uh, athletic budget deficit like Arizona has compared to even others that John has been covering too with Cal and UCLA. John, it's great to have you on the show, Paul Craig and Smokey. So 
Could Washington State or Oregon State have had anything of a better picture than they, they have right now, considering all that's happened? Well, no, I don't think so. I mean, but the ceiling is low, right? I mean, they're in a terrible spot. Even the best outcome for them is not a very good outcome. But they certainly have done everything they can, you know, to put themselves in the best position because nobody knows what the heck's going to happen with college football in three years or five years, the way things are going. And the heart of their whole strategy has been to stay flexible in case there's a better opportunity for them uh, down the road. And I think that they've done that and they won the lawsuit with the Pac-10. And so they've got uh, some financial reserves to help them stay flexible. And now it's just a matter of watching the landscape to see what happens next. John, um, Arizona uh, (laughs) has hit this budget uh, shortfall. Uh, and you know, who knows who else, you know, sees their head roll because of it, but they, they did let go of Dave Hickey this week. How bad is this really? Or is it just, are we getting maybe too drilled down on that overall number, which may not be as big as it, as it looks to, to the common person? It is bad, but it's, I don't think it's, uh, catastrophic. You know, the university has got a problem of its own uh, outside of athletics. The, the university had a $240 million oversight. They, they completely missed how much cash on hand they have. So that has kind of exacerbated the athletic department's problems, uh, which include not – they you know they borrowed a bunch of money from, from campus during COVID so that they didn't have to lay off employees, and they haven't paid that back. Uh, you know, it's bad. There's uh, other schools that are in bad shape too. Uh, I think that Dave Hickey is, to a certain extent, the fall guy. The president has now fired his CFO, and he has now fired the athletic director. Meanwhile, he is the one who is ultimately responsible for the $240 million oversight. John, some shuffling of the coaching seats uh, as DeBoer goes to Alabama, leaves Washington, and so therefore Jed Fish now leaves Arizona. Brennan rolls into Arizona. Just what have you thought of kind of the the changes going all around the uh, Pac-12 head coaching landscape and just the after effects of that all? I mean, it's crazy that one one 72-year-old decision can have such a ripple effect through the sport, right? I mean, not only the direct vacancies and hires that happen you know, Alabama, Washington, Arizona, San Jose State, but also all the coaches that have benefited financially from Saban's retirement because they because of the, uh, you know, the leverage situation. So I think uh, Washington, uh, you know, it, it depends on what your expectations are for all these schools going into the, the new conferences and also with the expanded playoff, right? I mean, if Washington's expectation is that they're going to be competing for uh, a playoff spot every year, I don't know that Jed Fish is going to be able to do that. I mean, the sample size with him is pretty small. It's basically a seven-game winning streak that happened because his starting quarterback got hurt and the backup just basically ignited the whole team. John, have I seen some chirping or smoke on uh, Kelly, Chip Kelly, and uh, also UCLA? Is, Is that stable ground there? You have seen some smoke. Uh, I believe that there is some legit, I, I'm not saying he is going to leave, but it is, I think it's valid that he has been, you know, monitoring the landscape to see if there are some offensive coordinator positions open in the NFL, just to kind of gauge it. 
uh, look, if you're Chip Kelly, you know, it, it hasn't been as successful as you wanted at UCLA. Uh, you're going into the Big Ten. Your schedule next year is insane. Uh, you're not going to have a great team. Your athletic department has a mountainous amount of debt. So UCLA is a worse situation than Arizona. Uh, and you know what? You didn't really, you know, you don't need the money. So do I think Chip is going to leave? No. Do I think that it's real that he's put feelers out about NFL offensive coordinator position? Yes. What is the uh, disconnect between the UCLA powers that be and Chip Kelly right now? Do they feel like they haven't gotten their money's worth, or is it a personality thing? What's going on? Well, I mean, the, but on campus, the, the fans are very frustrated. They, they've not been a fan of Chip uh, since the, you know, the non-conference. They went 0-3 in his first non-conference season, and since then, the fans just have never really gotten behind him. But on campus, the issue is uh, apathy at the chancellor level, right? I mean, he's got support in the athletic department, but you know, UCLA's chancellor does not know if a football is inflated or stuffed. And even worse, he doesn't care. <laughs> so uh, that, has been, that is a problem, but it's not just the Chip Kelly problem. That's been UCLA's problem for a long time. They haven't won a Pac-12 title since 1998. You know, uh, so that is an issue that has been constant. UCLA is going to get a new chancellor in the summer. Maybe that chancellor will be more into sports. I don't know. They are certainly going to need it, given the challenge awaiting them in the Big Ten. They're going to need a chancellor who cares about football and is willing to put some resources into it. John, what was it like from your perspective to look at an ACC schedule and see Stanford and Cal and the matchups that they've got coming their way starting next season? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Uh, Stanford opens up at Syracuse, the ACC schedule for them. At Syracuse is their first conference game, and then that's a Friday night. And then the next week they play at Clemson. So it's like, well, welcome to life on the Eastern Seaboard. And by the way, they they start classes in between those two road games because they're a quarter system school, so they don't start till September. So they're playing at Syracuse, then they're starting class, then they're playing at Clemson. Cal, they're opening uh, at Florida State. So both schools are going to get uh, like immersed in life in the ACC immediately. Uh, I still think that uh, you know there's a lot of challenges for them with the travel, and I am not convinced that it's going to last. That those two schools are going to last in the ACC for 12 years. And you know, you guys open. We talked about Washington State, Oregon State. The big thing, you know, if the ACC collapses. Uh, it's going to affect a lot of a lot of schools that used to be in the Pac-12. Well, and, and does that then become a life raft or a uh, a parachute that helps Oregon State and Washington State if that happened? Yeah, oh, absolutely. They think, and and I don't think that it's likely to happen. But Oregon State and Washington State are they are playing for the one percent chances, right? They feel like they have to be ready for anything, and one of those things is. Florida State wins its lawsuit, opens the door for Florida State, Clemson, Virginia, and Maryland, uh, Virginia, and North Carolina to leave. And all of a sudden, the ACC is a shell of itself. Stanford and Cal don't want to stay because there's no media value in that conference anymore. And so Washington State and Oregon State have got a landing spot for Cal and Stanford to come back uh, in a West Coast-based conference. John, um, how do you think the um – 
I mean, how is the planning going for the non-revenue sports? I mean, it seems like every time we get kind of a salvo from them, they're stressed out about what is happening for Stanford and Cal having to play uh, anything that doesn't make a million dollars a year uh, on the East Coast. Well, that hasn't changed. I mean, there's still a lot of questions about how they're going to make this work, right? Football is, you know, what is it, four, four trips to the East Coast, and they're chartering, and it's you know, two days, right? That's not a big deal. But the basketballs, soccers, volleyballs, baseball, softball, not just Stanford and Cal, but also for all the West Coast teams, right? I mean, UCLA's Olympic sports playing in Madison, Wisconsin one day and Minneapolis the next. There's a lot of people out here, not just fans, but on the campuses that are just not convinced that this thing is a long-term viable solution for the Olympic sports. John, how has your job changed? You still cover the schools that are right there, uh, whether it's the Pac-2, the Pac-12, whatever it is. That's what you do for a living. But how has that changed maybe how you cover them with them now schools breaking in different parts of the country? You know, it hasn't really changed, and it's not going to change. Okay. Uh, because regardless of what what banner that their conference affiliation says, they are still dealing with all the same issues, right? I mean, they're still dealing with realignment, media rights, NCAA issues, uh, lawsuits. I mean, everything that affects what the fans see on the field, none of that's changing. In fact, I would argue that it's getting – the pace of change is accelerating. I mean, we just saw that with the NCAA president's radical proposal about the, the subdivision, right? And right. then we got this – multi-billion dollar class action lawsuit that's going to trial in a year that could change everything as well. So all the issues at the 40,000 foot level are still there. And I'm going to continue to write about them and how they impact the schools. I'm also going to write about the big 12 uh, conference race and the college football playoff Mm -hmm. and the big 10. So it really doesn't change for me. It's just the schools are competing uh, under different banners. Did anything change whatsoever? I asked this question a day or two ago with uh, UCLA sending what's so-called like basically like a uh, a stipend to Cal because of the same school system. Yeah. Did, did any the of calimony. The, Yeah, the calimony. <laughs> <laughs> did any of that get offset whatsoever uh, with now Cal part of the ACC or is it still the full throttle same amount no matter what? No, well, it, it is still uh, ongoing. They haven't, the regents, the UC regents have not actually uh, finalized the amount that UCLA is going to subsidize Cal. And I think the situation, if you're a UCLA fan, has only actually gotten worse because Cal has all these money, tro- all this money trouble this, and they're going into ACC and they're getting, Cal and Stanford are getting 30% of the ACC's tier one revenue for seven years. Right. So their cow situation is actually getting worse. So I don't see any way that the UC regions aren't going to hit UCLA with a subsidy of anywhere from five to ten million a year. Uh, and then if if they do and if it's at the high end, UCLA has already said that increased travel, in the big big 10 is going to cost them 10 to 12 million a year. So if you've got 10 to 12 million a year in extra travel and then you've got another 10 million dollar subsidy, you've got to pay cow. All of a sudden, all that money you thought you were getting in the Big Ten, you're getting $20 million less. And so what that does is 
that puts UCLA closer to Oregon and Washington, which are going into the Big Ten at 50%. So it's going to be hard for UCLA to compete with all these you know, financial challenges. Do you think that uh, now that it's been a few months since the Big 12 added four, and now with the story with Oregon, Washington, do you think there's any remorse whatsoever from anybody that now have been scattered in different directions? I think a lot of people on the campuses wish the Pac-12 had found a way to make it work. Uh, I don't think uh, everybody's preference was for the Pac-12, I mean, after USC and UCLA left. For the, so those 10 schools, their first choice was always to stick together with a solid media rights deal that would allow them to compete. Uh, and I don't think that's changed. I think that, you know, they're all making plans for the transition this summer. But certainly uh, it, it was not their first choice. Uh, there is some, you know, I don't think anybody has any regret. But I do think that there's a lot of uncertainty about how this whole thing's going to work and whether it is a viable long-term solution, especially, uh, as I said, for the Olympic sports, right? I mean, it's easy to see this thing not working and, you know, in six or eight or ten years, football, the football schools are doing one thing and everybody else is doing something else, you know, regional conferences. Uh, I think that's, a, you know, probably a pretty likely outcome. All right. Uh, we know about the other sports. And, John, thanks for your time. The other sports, and they're attached to different conferences. The What is it? The Western uh, – not Western Athletic, but the Western – WCC. Is all that still set, or Oregon and Washington State a part of that together, or is there a chance that one of them says, no, we're going to go off on this by ourselves for a year or two? No, they are. So they've got a scheduling agreement with the Mountain West for football. Okay. And then they've got, uh, they are going to be members of the West Coast Conference in basketball and then a whole bunch of other sports for, for two years. But they are keeping their options open starting in the fall of 2026, right? Because the NCAA gives them that two-year grace period for football where they can be a two-team conference for two years, still get playoff money and all that kind of thing. So they are basically going to sit back and see what is going on in the landscape in 2026. And it could be that they rebuild the Pac-12 with a bunch of schools from the Mountain West, or it could be you know, who knows that what, what happens with the ACC? Yeah. Again, they are playing for the 1%, and that's a smart – if you're them, that's the smart way to do it. So last thing for you, what is the status? What is he doing, Commissioner Klyovkov? What is going on with him? I call him the zombie commissioner. Mm. Uh, so he is collecting a paycheck. Uh, the big thing that he is doing, is, from what I can ascertain, the big thing he is doing is he's part, you know, he's still part of the CFP management committee, which is the 10 commissioners plus Notre Dame's athletic director. Washington State and Oregon State definitely have a, you know, a deep interest in what the CFP does with the access, with the revenue sharing, all that kind of thing. So he's kind of representing those two schools in the CFP meetings. But I think once they finalize, you know, the five-seven model, once they finalize the revenue sharing for for the twelve-team event, then I think the Pac-12 will will cut them loose. 
Thank you, as always, John. Great stuff. We appreciate your time being with us. Uh, great, great uh, insight on a few topics that maybe we haven't discussed in a while. It's there, uh, including the zombie commissioner and, and George Klyovkov and yeah. how this affects some of the other sports. And I was curious, remember I brought up, does UCLA get any kind of a discount because Cal's now a part of the ACC and he answered that for us? Because that's not yet even completely settled anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff in there. And, and like you said, stuff that we haven't necessarily touched on in a while. I mean, we're not going to sit there and beat the drums as like, something's happening. And, you know, it's it's a process. And this whole Pac-12, like, fading from football when you had a lot of distractions into now this spring and kind of getting to a point where you got to make decisions. Like, that's that's now here. And they've, they've been doing that along the way. But now we know a little bit more about baseball. And now we know – you know, a little bit more about this and that and how things are going to work and what leagues are going to be involved and, and, and those types of things. So a lot's been answered over the last few months, but it still does feel like there's just like there's something, you know, eventually is going to have to break bigger than that. And so we got a couple years of a period of time here where they're by the rules, free and clear to participate the way they're setting up to participate. But, yeah, what, what happens in these next two years for Oregon State, Washington State, and their potential landing spot eventually. Uh, that'll be really, really interesting stuff. And, of course, that could be affected, as he pointed out, by a variety of different factors within realignment. Um, and there's that goal, as he stated, or that wish that he stated, that some Pac-12 fans have of the ACC's crumbling somehow leading to the resurgence of a, of a new Pac-12, basically. And so there's that thought out there that maybe that's how it works if things fall a certain way. So, yeah, the... The next couple of years are going to be really, really interesting. I did want to make mention, though, um, because I wasn't sure if he, he, if we, we brought it up, but Oregon State Baseball did announce today their baseball plan for next year, and that is going to be going independent. So there was some thoughts and some hopes that, well, maybe they'll join the Big 12 because they've got a great baseball program, and that'll add to the league, and, and there's obviously still hopes that that's where they'll land eventually. But Oregon State Baseball, which is one of those – programs we didn't have an answer to yet they, they won national titles yeah they? they're yeah. a really good baseball program yeah. i mean yeah. they're really really good and they're going to be really good this year but they are going to go independent in 2025 uh, after they wrap up pack play this season and that was announced today within the last three hours or so so that's what they're going to do i looked around to see if washington state had done something similar i'd imagine that's going to be their option though is mm-hmm. to do this basically the same thing and that will be to go independent but oregon state has made that uh, clear that's what their their position will be for 2025 and then beyond that like everything else we'll just well, we'll see how it goes they'll 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 have a room at the table uh because the, the NCAA baseball tournament obviously is very large you wonder how that affects whether they host a regional they're really good they they not well, don't, don't they've won about a couple of national year. titles yeah, yeah. Yeah. they got the pack this year but no, then next okay, year that's yeah. right that for yeah. next year okay no, I, i'm sure look, that's probably the, pretty smart in baseball but, i think you could do that even in basketball before before Notre Dame you know, join the ACC and everything with football. I mean, they were doing it. You know, I know it's a different time, but well, they, they, I mean, yeah. they were independent and everything. You know, so they, you know, for baseball, you, you, they'd host a regional and they were good. You know, they'd, they've always had a pretty solid baseball. Don't you program. think Florida State wishes they were independent now like they used to be? You think Florida State wishes it was in the SEC? Yeah, I think they wish they were anywhere else. Yeah. I think it is funny. Like, the weren't thing they is, independent for a long time? Yeah, they FSU, were until yeah. they joined the ACC. But, yeah. Yeah. I brought that up just because that's one question that's now yeah. answered here today is what what's baseball going to look like for one of those schools next year? And so, yeah, they'll they'll be one of those contenders this year for sure to to be watching, and then um, they'll go indie for twenty twenty five. I I wonder, um, you know, like or it was interesting to me that uh, he mentioned that Oregon State and Washington State are 
out there like hoping, like watching Florida State, like, hey, come on, guys, let's yeah, win that. Cheering them on. Like, they're like, let's send a legal expert out there to just like help them out because you know if they're waiting for the one percent, you know, like that's. Um, you know, that's kind that's of also asking for it to fall a specific type of way yes, that then opens up these specific because, wishes that you would have that would result from that. And so, yeah, there's because a lot of there's, there are tentacles of things that could happen. Like Florida State could just find a way for themselves to get out. Right. Exactly. You know, like and then it's, yeah. you know, then it's kind of an individual thing and it's not so much of a everybody else. It doesn't crater the ACC. Yeah. yeah. But. I just I would think that if they negotiate a way out, then everybody else is going to try that wants to leave would try well, to do that too. Yeah, but if yeah. they find an exit strategy that's viable for everybody to, to take advantage of, I mean, we know there's a handful of schools that will then take advantage of that, and all of a sudden these conferences who are pretending they're not watching what's going on or just not able to comment on it, they'll swoop in and go grab the four or five schools or whatever that they want if that's what were to happen. Now, there are going to be 10-plus schools that still have – to ensure that they have a spot. And I'm sure the Big 12 would jump in there and be like, Louisville, come on down. Like, I'm sure they would fully embrace that. But there's a long I, there's a long way to go still, I think, until we get there. Now, maybe it could happen quicker than we expect, but for right now, at least, it's a process. So I remember when there was the uproar with uh, the ACC, which is, of course, that it's like a volcano, that it kind of like gets dormant and then pop, here it comes again, whether it's in the Hawaiian Islands, islands or elsewhere. But... When I was talking to a Big 12 administrator about the possibility of the ACC was to, like, all of a sudden just, bam, erupt Louisville because of the fact that there has had some discussions with the Big 12 before would be absolutely, I think, probably one of the first teams they would contact. Oh, yeah, I think they and, might. And maybe vice versa. I mean, as far as realistic, like, sure, they would join because I don't consider any talk about, well, Florida State joining the Big 12, I don't think, I think that's just... I don't know what that is. I, I don't think that's realistic, that, though. Um, that would be if they got out and the Big Ten and the ACC were like, right. we never told you. Right, right, but right. They, I don't think that they think that, and I don't think that I don't think that they would be doing this if they hadn't talked to at exactly least somebody right. yeah. that said, look, get out and we'll talk. And they're a big enough brand that they're not going to be left out. Like, no. that, I mean, them no. in particular, they're, I mean, it's sure, Syracuse probably shouldn't do that. Syracuse yeah. should probably, I'm just throwing them out there, Boston College should probably make sure they have a spot before they decide to leave. Like, make sure you've got the destination secured and the reservations are confirmed and all of that. But, yeah, Florida State, uh, they're going to have no problem, one would think, and they already probably have that set up a couple of options, of course. Uh, But, yeah, the others, a little bit of a – we'd have to cross that bridge when we get there. I know that's fun to speculate on where they could all end up, but Louisville certainly is one that's a pretty easy one to peg, and that would be, yeah, the end of the Big 12 would make a lot of sense. Uh, their basketball team is struggling, though. Man, I'm telling you what, they, well, it, they are in trouble right now, and that's why we mentioned that earlier in the week uh, when or when we had uh, Kevin Flaherty on the show to discuss what they're going through. And what Calipari went to bat for him. You know, hey, it, it's part of the deal. All right, when we come back, more to get to. I didn't realize this. We didn't have this story earlier, but TCU, uh, their general manager, so to speak, of player personnel is leaving. Um, and I just got a text from somebody whose son played at UTSA on Jared Anderson and w- w- wishing that Jared would have stayed with Jeff Trailer. We'll get to that. Also, a look ahead to tomorrow's. Uh, yep, battering ram when it comes to the Big 12 in men's basketball and a few other notes. And this is 365 Sports. So I have notes and all this stuff for the uh, Wagoneer 2024 Wagoneer L. I drove it around 
Saturday through what was it Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday morning. Ted Teague, general manager at Allen Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep, Ram, Fiat. They have options. They have discounts. They have offers. They have what you want when it comes to dealer discounts at their at their location, at their dealership. When I was there to go pick it up, sat there at a desk with Ted for a couple of minutes and looked out on their, uh, they have cars everywhere. I mean, their, their lot is full, and that's not the case for everybody. But I drove around this 2024 Wagoneer, which is an alpha, it is absolutely phenomenal. I've driven SUVs, pickup trucks, sedans, whatever you want to call them. And, and this one here is like a combination of all of it, from the handling to traction. The amenities are phenomenal. Look at that baby. It's long, it's lean, and it drove to Temple and back, pouring down rain on I-35. It had no issues whatsoever. And, in fact, all of the various what you would call warning alert signs, et cetera, noises that that particular car has is phenomenal. Yeah, you even know that some cars now, if somebody jumps out in front of you, will all of a sudden come to a pretty much halt. Uh, When somebody's too close to you, yes, a lot of cars have it. This has every warning sign you'd want and more. And the spacing is ridiculous. The eight people can sit in that, and there's still a trunk behind the third row. All of what you have with the display that lights up like a beautiful movie screen. It is a great car. I drove it for four days, enjoyed every mile of it, every second with it, and it's on the lot right now and available at Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat, Loop 340, and east of 84 in Waco. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at Alliance AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. 
Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL fund baylorbears.com slash gxg contributions to support nil activations through gxg can be made at baylorbears.com slash gxg for more information follow at gxg underscore green x gold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com gxg empowering student athlete entrepreneurship and uplifting the local economy through NIL activations. This is 365 Sports. The Sikkim 365 app is brought to you by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Come by, let's be friends. Just saw this in Matt Zenitz. It is, he's a great follow. Transfer portal, uh, a, a movement among coaches. Uh, Matt, to Baylor defensive analyst Eric Amako is expected to be hired as the defensive backs coach at Campbell. He uh, was a graduate assistant at Washington, so he's on his way out. Analysts moving left and right. There's that story with him. Also, I, I saw this note. I don't have the tweet of it, but... I'd have more of a comment on that, but that's like so... Like, that's just... I know, but we're, we're made, start, uh, Yeah, I, no, no. I'm just saying that we're now starting to get into, like, the weeds when we're starting to talk about uh, GAs, and so that's... That's something that's a name to tuck back and uh, possibly reconnect with, um, you know, here over the next few years, see how his career goes. But I'm saying, like, from a reporting standpoint is, man, it's it's college football's 24-7 now. That you're, I was, like, watching yesterday, and it was, like, Brandon Marceau, somebody was talking about Ivy League coaching changes out of nowhere, and it was like – Ivy, we're doing Ivy League coaching changes now. Like, really? That's what we're, and that's where we're doing now, apparently. And so, yeah, it's just, it's amazing how every layer is getting peeled back. You know, as time goes by on on the sport that we love here in college football. Nebraska is hiring TCU general manager, and that's just weird for me to say <laughs> <Again>. that. <laughs> Anthony Crispino, uh, he was with Sonny Dykes at SMU. Uh, spent four years at, at at SMU in Dallas, two years assistant director of football operations at Northwestern. He's been at Texas State. He is headed to Nebraska to be a part of Matt Rule's staff as his director of, uh, I guess, player personnel and general manager. So another layer as the staffs continue to just like a tick in a summer day on a dog, just get plump and fatter. And fatter. What a terrible analogy that was, but I couldn't help it. I mean, it kind of worked. I didn't know where you were going with that, but it kind of kind of worked for the most part. I think we all understand where you're coming from. But, yeah, I mean, as far as getting fatter, certain schools, yeah. um, certain schools are able to do that and just keep adding and adding and adding. The next thing you know, there will be an assistant to the GM, and then there will be he's the GM of personnel. This guy's the GM of recruiting, and this guy's the GM of NIL. And this guy, you know, I mean, how, how big do they get? You wonder, and – this is something that's been going on for a while. It's not a, I mean, it's not 
a problem per se. It's just that it's one of those areas that has been taken full advantage of by the schools who can afford to have 50 analysts Absolutely. versus those who yeah. can only afford to have like five. And, and there is a major difference there. Well, and I noticed that I remember Alabama may have had the most initially, and it could have been somebody else. And so then all of a sudden you saw, okay, let's say you're Texas or Oklahoma or you're Washington or whoever. It is. Well, if they got 27, we have to have 27. And then that blossomed. And, uh, and, and it's also where coaches who have been fired who get paid, paid real good money can get paid like $50,000 because they're getting paid by the previous place. Who's the one that rehabs the coaches that need the, the, uh, the remake? Uh, now, now that, that Saban's gone? gone? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe Curly's, Lane Kiffin. Who's yeah, getting, well, Lane Kiffin, <laughs> Charlie Strong. I mean, all yeah. the different guys that rolled through his oh. doors. Bill O'Brien. Sarkeesian. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, who's who's that guy now, you wonder? Yeah. It's Mike gonna... Loxley? Yeah. I, I don't know who it's going to be. By the way, I saw this note. Remember we were talking about UCF and the coordinator positions, and they have like three guys mm-hmm. with a coordinator title? Uh, Gus Malzahn today at a press conference uh, included the addition of Tim Harris Jr. as the offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach who we brought up, and Ted Roof will be better next year. I will promise you that, as he's really built up well, what he likes now with his staff. He he's calling the plays again. Like he had stopped calling them. He's back with to three calling OCs. Them. Yeah, he's calling the plays. He'll have three people feeding him different parts of information, but that's going to be Gus Malzahn. Why wouldn't you want him to call the plays? That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, UCF fans are probably split on this issue, you know, um, you know, to, to varying degrees, but yeah, I I think that that's, that's what he's going to do. Look, I look, sometimes it's not a good thing. Like I think that, you know, Jason Garrett, when he was like, I'm using a pro example, Jason Garrett couldn't handle it anymore. Like he was, you know, but then, you know, it took a while for him to find the right guy that meshed with him. That was Kellen Moore. And by that time, that worked. You know, Garrett was gone and Moore stayed. You know, Mike McCarthy, it worked out this year for the Cowboys statistically. So, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's not a – It's not a. It, no, you're right. Some guys who are play callers become head coaches. Andy Reid. Yeah. Like, it was never um, – Eric Bieniemy was never no. calling those plays. Yeah. This is his first year he's actually right. doing that. Right, and you wonder now with him, because Washington's changing, now where does he go, where, where does he go next? Also, uh, if you did not join us earlier today, former TCU defensive coordinator Joe Gillespie has now been named will, – will, excuse me, will be recommended as the next head coach at Midway as a high school noted team that we broadcast each year. That school board meeting – will be on Monday. I mean, I'm less interested in the multiple OC titles because I think that all works itself out, and ultimately that all falls on Gus anyways. I mean, that's just kind of dressing and and probably part of the contract negotiations and things like that or just wanting to give somebody a little bit of of an extra promotion or title. But, yeah, I mean, it's all going to eventually fall on Gus. So I I think less interesting is – kind of how all that works because ultimately the offense will fall to him as everything else does. But uh, just him saying they're going to be better. I know every coach in America is saying that, but UCF is a team that, yeah, I'm very curious of how they sort of regroup. And they've been very busy since the season ended and a lot of staff changes, obviously, a lot of roster changes. But now that they've got that that first taste of what the Big 12 life is like for them and the, the three others, and then now you've got a, you know, a handful of new schools coming in again although they're making power five to power four i guess power five to power five transition but yeah ucs a team that showed some promise took some lumps though and um yeah there's some urgency there you can sense that because they still feel and 
probably rightfully so, that they can be one of those, not the kings of the conference, because, again, I don't believe there's going to be one of those, but a team that is in the mix and is causing a little chaos here and there. Uh, I think teams will make runs at that. It's like who's right. going to be the alpha, and it could, which could be kind of fun. By the way, part of his quote, this is from Brandon Helwig, who we've had on many times. Bottom line, we went 6-7. and seven. That's unacceptable. So I evaluated everything. We've made changes, and I really feel good about moving forward. First of all, we've got three of our players here today that had a chance to go to the NFL. They chose to come back. They'll be here in just a minute. You'll be able to ask them questions. They're having a big Friday night lights thing, or they did, in Orlando, including R.J. Har- uh, Harvey, among others. So he... Yeah, uh, he's and they they had one of their if not best ever recruiting class at five or six seven four star players in the class of twenty twenty four. Well, the quarterback situation shouldn't be so guess week by week whether John Rice Plumley's available or not. Now it'll be KJ Jefferson's the guy until he's hurt and then he's not and hopefully that doesn't happen and hopefully he's just the guy you don't have to worry about going to your number two your number three guy. But that had to be a pretty tiring for. Uh, Malzahn of just the constant is the guy healthy or, or is it not the game that you had to play with John Rice Plumley who was a who was a good player but uh, that definitely had some effect on their season as well. All right, tomorrow Big Twelve basketball and then we come back with of course Paul's top five in the NFL and then we'll give our predictions to uh, two conference championship games which shouldn't take long. K State coming off that loss to Iowa State on the road again against a. Uh, Man, after they started poorly, Houston looks like they're just going to be really strong and fine. But this should be interesting on ESPN tomorrow. A lot of early games. KU at Iowa State. Mm, that'll be fun. See what Paul's doing about 2.30, 3 o'clock tomorrow. Texas Tech leading the conference on the road against Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma coming off a game where they blew a tire. Texas just crushed them in the second half in that game earlier this week. Texas back on the road, playing up in Provo against BYU, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and then Baylor at home against TCU. We discussed that. That's at 3 o'clock. They're going to honor the, uh, the uh, uh, fallen immortal 10 that was killed in that train wreck back many, many years ago tomorrow. And UCF on the road against Cincinnati. That's the night game at 6, is that 8 o'clock or 6, at 6 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Now, Baltimore hosts Kansas City, San Francisco at home in the nightcap, Sunday against Detroit. I, uh, you know, I, I just think Lamar Jackson has been so good this year. Now, look, playing Patrick Mahomes is, I mean, that's your rite of passage to get to the Super Bowl. Is you beat him, uh, then you certainly earned it in a, in, a, in a big way. But I just think that they're playing at home. They've played so well on both sides of the ball. He had something to prove to the world this year, and he's certainly done it. And, um, you know, for a guy who has taken so many stupid uh, criticisms and backhanded compliments and things because, you know, he doesn't fit the mold of your normal quarterback, and he's just been so fun to watch and is such an X factor. I'm going to go with Baltimore in the AFC game. I, I think I think that it's going to be close. Um, you know, you're not going to blow out the Chiefs, not in the playoffs, but I, I do like Baltimore to do this because I do think that their defensive backs can disrupt a, a pretty sloppy receiving core for a little while. Yeah, I just I have a hard time going against Patrick Mahomes no matter where it is. I feel like we talked a lot or heard a lot about how this guy's never won a road playoff game, and now he's 1-0. and And I feel like in a few years we're going to look up and it's going to be like, did you know Patrick Mahomes is 7-1 and in road playoff games? And that's going to be like his new marker. And meanwhile, he's like 20-whatever and crazy loss number at, at home 
Not that I figure he'll play that many more road games in the years moving forward, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I get it. If I was putting money on it, I'd take Baltimore, I think, but the, just the, the part of me of just looking at this on the surface, I just have a really hard time, no matter where they're playing, going against Patrick Mahomes, but that ought to be a, a fantastic game, and very much looking forward to that, and very much looking forward to the fact it's in Baltimore. I, th- I do think that makes it interesting, because if this was in Kansas City, I wouldn't even blink. I'd, I'd say KC without a doubt, and then uh, Detroit and San Francisco. I mean, that's going to be uh, a fun one as well. Lions Debo been, practiced yesterday. Yeah, he, he practiced Sandu, yesterday. Yep. Uh, also, the Ravens got Mark Andrews back, uh, so that'll be another part of their repertoire. But um, Could be ugly at both places, right? The weather, I wet. I imagine so, yeah. yeah. I, I've been watching the weather reports, but uh, they won't have um, – I guess where where's uh they're in San Francisco, right? Yeah. Uh, so Santa Clara. So yeah. yeah, that that'll be different. But I didn't want to make the mistake of how's the weather in Detroit? They'll have to, <laughs> to deal with like that one reporter had to deal with a couple of weeks ago. I make sure, yeah, they're in Santa Clara. So yeah, we'll we'll see. Who knows how the weather is out there? I haven't looked at the weather reports like I uh, said, but that's on, gonna be fun. On Sunday, uh mostly sunny, high near sixty nine. In Baltimore California or San Francisco. Weather, it's not Baltimore. And, uh, in San Francisco. I'll tell you I'll tell you about Baltimore in a second. Well, you guys are giving your predictions. Then you get. I, I, I got 49ers in the. I, I'm home teams when it comes to conference title games. Even if I'm wrong, I I, I always pick the team at home. I'll I'd love to see Chiefs. Dan Campbell. I'd love to see him have a chance just to kind of see what that would be like the week of the Super Bowl. Uh, I love the way the 49ers are built. And um, man, uh, if I got my Purdy's way, still a great story. If I got what I wanted, I think I'd want to see Lions Ravens. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that'd be the best game, but that's the game that would be, I think, just more interesting to me because of the newness of it all and the story of Detroit carrying on and, and just not being the Chiefs again because we're yep. kind of seeing them all the time. But for some reason, I yeah, uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, I think I, it's going to be the, uh, uh, San Francisco and, and Baltimore. I think we're, I, I'm going to say uh, 49ers and Ravens. Um, I would love to see the Lions make it. My The best man at my wedding is a huge Lions fan. It would be great for him. Um, you know, they have never just been never, in the like, Super Bowl. No, they've never Think been. In the, it, we again. talked about the drought of the NFC Championship yeah. game. They have never played in the Super the, Bowl. The last time you can wear a Lions Championship shirt, you have to like ask your grandpa, like, "Do you remember that?" And he'll be like, oh, "It was 1955." Yeah. Like Milk Plummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like it's ridiculous. So they had so so long ago. So yeah, I I would love to see that. I just think that, I mean, San Francisco is just too efficient and too good, but. Dan Campbell's going to go in there and, and rip it up. So I it's, love to see it's, Jared, it's, Jared Goff have a chance to go back. Be, he's Cal guy, so yep. he's yep. he's going back home. By the way, the weather in Baltimore uh, on Sunday, rain, high near 48, northeast wind, 10 to 14 it's miles a summer day in Baltimore during so this time. So way better than right. it has been. All right. Uh, we don't forget, I know we're not done, 365 Sports tonight, tonight at 1030. Emery Winter working on that. Willie Fritz, uh, Bruce Feldman, John Wilner, and, uh, and also the guests that we have throughout the, the week, every night, 1030 on the local CW 365 Sports Tonight. It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5, brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top five best hires now that we're kind of to the end of this cycle. My apologies to Jed Fish. He was number six to me. Well, well I'm just going to wait and see. Uh, I think it was a good hire, but he was number six to me. Number five, Fran Brown at Syracuse. 
This is the first, like, no offense to Dino Babers, but this is the first hire at Syracuse in my lifetime that feels like a coach who legitimately brings the, the right kind of energy to it. I mean, he was, he's been successful as an assistant where he's been. Um, he brought energy to Temple. He brought energy here to Baylor. He's just kind of the right personality they need to kind of not look at what Syracuse has been and look at what they are and then look what they could be. Uh, he's already roped in some pretty um, high-level players. Look, you've got to be a pretty good recruiter to convince a quarterback like Kyle McCord, who, yes, we know is not the best Ohio State quarterback ever, but he just went 11-1, and won, so he wasn't like an Ohio State transfer that wasn't playing. He was their starter and could have gone a lot of places, but to convince him to go to Syracuse to kind of help you jumpstart that, not to mention some of the other guys he's got in, the coaching staff he's building is pretty impressive. I really, really like the hire of Fran Brown at Syracuse, albeit it's hard to win there, but if there's somebody who can kind of not care about that, I do think it's Fran Brown. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they could have gotten anybody who's more experienced and with closer ties to the region than Fran Brown. I mean, being down south in a state that's bigger than every state other than, what, Alaska? and It's Texas 2 and then California's 3, I believe. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, outside of that, like, it's just a different part of the world down here. And up there in that northeastern area, all that experience at Temple and Philly, New Jersey, New York, and – um, with Rutgers there as well, and just growing up in that area, and, and uh, being a New Jersey guy, I just I think he knows the ins and outs. I think he knows the pulse, and I think he he knows the game of college football. Having also spent time at Georgia here recently, so I just I think he checks a lot of good boxes for you. And I just don't know how you could really, other than I mean, if you were doing a creative coach for Syracuse football, that's younger and hipper, and you can vibe with the kids, but also knows all the different parts of. Your geography and his, I just, I think he's the perfect guy for them. I do. I think that's an exciting hire. And I don't recall really talking much about Syracuse football these last few years, uh, other than the occasional mention of Dino Babers. But I think we're going to be talking a bit more about them moving forward because I'm a believer that Fran Brown's going to do a really good job there. I love his accent. <laughs> when they had the staff with Rule, and I love the accents that we got with some of the guys that were on that staff. Yeah, absolutely. Number four, Brent Brennan in Arizona. Look, um, Given, you know, we talked about it with John Wilner uh, under an hour ago, but given the fact that there's about to be some belt tightening around the program, at least for a little while, uh, hiring a guy who was doing this on a shoestring budget at another place is pretty smart. Like, there's, he, he's probably, it's not going to be bad for football. They're going to have pretty much everything they need, but I'm sure in the short term, he's going to have to navigate some, well, we can't do that this year, but we can do it next year. Uh, and because of that, that's good. He's, he's won. Uh, where he's been, uh, he's consistent. Like he, he's, he's, he was in the Dick Tomey tree, which is the last time that they were great for a long time uh, at Arizona or an extended period of time. So I, I really like this one. I think he's going to fit there really well. I think he's got the right vibe for the Big 12 too. I think that he's going he's gonna to fit this league really, really good. Yeah, I mean, the winning's been uh, hit or miss. I mean, it's gotten better here as of late, but definitely some lean years early on with San Jose State and building it up to where they've been a bowl team the last couple of years. Uh, I'm I'm still learning a bit about him. I'm not going to pretend to be nearly as familiar as I am with Fran Brown uh, since he was around here. But, uh, yeah, I think that Arizona got put into a pinch because of Jed Fish, and Brent Brennan seemed like a very enthusiastic, optimistic guy uh, for the situation uh, who was willing to embrace uh, the uh, the Wildcats program. And, yeah, he's got some things to 
I guess, deal with off the field, some some challenges that maybe not everybody else has to deal with at the moment. But I think he's a, a guy who seems to be the right type rather than somebody who maybe was like a veteran who like that kind of a situation might bother them a bit more. Yeah. Whereas he is thankful to be where he is, not looking necessarily for yeah. something better already. And so I think that is uh, the right timing to have a guy like that for Arizona as they make this uh, unwanted transition because you were hoping that you were just going to roll in with Jed Fish and start winning football games in the Big 12. But given the hand you were dealt, I think it's a, it's a respectable hire. Yeah. yeah. Number three, Jonathan Smith. Uh, huge fan of Jonathan Smith uh, at Michigan State. Uh, the actually reason I didn't name him at number one is uh, I, I just – I don't trust his administration all that much. They seem to kind of interfere or, or be a little bit. Had he not left for Michigan State and DeBoer leaves? Yeah, I mean, like he would probably be at Washington. I would think. Of course, you know, that's timing. Take it, yeah. but that's timing, you know. But Michigan State made a really, really good hire. This is one of the the best young and up and coming uh, coaching minds in the league or in the country as far as offense goes. Especially, um, he's already brought in some good players. He's uh, going to help them out as they. He's a good guy to bring in as you transition to a new conference and need to find a new identity for yourself that is not a wash in scandal. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is a really good hire. The only reason, again, like I worry for anybody at Michigan State is unless you're Tom Izzo and you're kind of in, in charge of everything is their administration just seems to make, um, you know, missteps from time to time. Yeah, they do. Um, and I think that was, you know, still not enough to prohibit a guy like him yeah. from saying, oh, Big Ten and big money and big yeah. opportunity. And, and let me go leave the school that I'm oh so familiar with coming off of a fantastic little run, fantastic year. And uh, go to to greener literally pastures, but yeah, I'd, I'd have that in the back of my mind. Luckily for a guy like Jonathan Smith or whoever was signed up for that gig, he got a pretty ironclad contract. I would imagine that if any goofiness goes on, you're going to be set no matter what. But yeah, can he avoid having any of those issues arise and just be able to focus on football and get Michigan State back to a place where they've been off and on for you know several years? I mean, just pick a time period and they might be down. There's no time period; they're they're way up, and so there's clearly some success that can be had there. Can he establish it and and do it for the long haul? We'll see. But I think that given they have some issues that may have pushed away some other coaches or made them more hesitant, um, that's a really good hire. I mean, that's a really good hire given all the egg on your face from the whole Mel Tucker debacle uh, from the contract to what got him booted, uh, how all of that ended up working out in the end. I mean, to end up with Jonathan Smith after all was said and done is pretty damn good parting prize, honestly. Yep. Number two. Willie Fritz in Houston. I don't just say this because he was on the show today, but for someone who is um, a culture builder and a, you know, kind of a unifier, I, I think that, you know, you could just kind of hear it in Dana Hogerson's voice that he was a little bit exasperated at times. You know, we'd have him on the show or he'd talk about things. You don't hear that with Willie Fritz. Like, he's energized by this. This is a really good fit for the program. Uh, and given the fact that he's been able to do this at a lot of different places and given the resources he's going to have in the Big 12 and in Houston, I loved the Willie Fritz hire. I don't think they could have gone wrong, whether it's our, our good friend Jeff Trailer or our, our good friend Willie Fritz here. Like, they, they had two really good options at Houston, and I think Willie Fritz will do a great job with the Cougars. I I like the guy. He's won at every level, everywhere he's been. Won when he was playing in college at Pittsburgh State. There's not a place he hasn't won, no matter the level, the commitment, the budget, or whatever. I think is a hell he, of a hire. Because he's a culture builder. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it's a really good culture around really, Willie Fritz. Yeah, I think they, they got a slam dunk with Willie Fritz. Um, 
he's won everywhere he's been, as you guys mentioned, and I don't really think there's anything to add on here. I think it's a pretty no-brainer that this was a good hire, and uh, just now it's it's deeper waters for the rest of the Big 12 schools that were hoping that Houston would limp along or maybe bring Holgerson back for another year, and it's now like, oh, damn, they went and hired Willie Fritz. Like, now they're getting serious. You know what I mean? Like, now it's like, oh, shoot, got to watch out for them and, and their climb up. But, yeah, really – uh, looking forward to seeing what he's able to do with the right support and being back in Texas and knowing the area so well with all of his history here. It's going to be a lot of fun for the Cougs and a nice uh, change of pace and breath of fresh air. Yeah, absolutely. And number one, Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. Look, they um, the, Alabama had the hardest job of everybody because you're replacing the GOAT. And so you have to boil it down to, okay, there's two roads you can go. All right, let's go try to that people would do. Let's go try to hire somebody that's going to know exactly how he did it. Well, the only one who's really, really good at that now is Kirby Smart, and you're not getting him. So um, what do you do? You find somebody who's won at every part of it, who's young, who's energetic, who who is not at all intimidated by the fact that he is replacing Nick Saban like many, many others would be. Uh, and... He's just going to be able to, to – he's going to run in the straight line that Kalen DeBoer is to getting – they have all the advantages in the world. He's going to be able to do well there. It's just that the fans got to have to reset their expectations. But I do think that, you know, given everybody they could have hired, and really they could have called almost anybody but save about three guys and gotten them on a plane uh, in, in Alabama if they really, really wanted to, this is the best one they could have because he's – He's got a little bit of that risk – not – the higher any higher is a risk, but he's got a little bit of that. He doesn't give a you know what. Yeah, and he's got that risk taking inside game management, which might hurt him a little bit at times. And but I think their roster, which has been kind of picked apart, I think slowly but surely by the time they get to around June or July, their roster is going to be just fine. Well, they the, will reload the, once they get to the next time there's a transfer portal, and I think they've gotten a lot more players in than we, than a lot of us, maybe even me included, realize. Well, well look, they're, it's going to be kind of a recycle for them, and, and maybe they'll take a step back where they're not going to be 11-2 and two on a bad year. Like, they'll be uh, good but not great maybe the year one as he reestablishes that roster. But I think in the spring portal period, there's going to be a lot of guys out there who are like, oh, I can go play in Alabama? Yeah, I'm going to go do that. So, well, if, in fact, they're good enough. Yeah, but I think they're going to. Yeah. So I think they're not going to replace Caleb Downs, something like that. But they're going to be – they're, they're they'll, they'll they're be redshirted right. a bunch of players, which we even forget about that now, whether it's Alabama or whoever. They are, are still going to have, I think, a pretty loaded roster. Yeah, I mean, the guy might be 6'10 rather than 7 foot. I mean, this is basically, you know, yeah. what it is because he's a hell of a football coach. Like, he's won everywhere. We were all screaming that during the, you know, national championship run of like, wow, look at this guy and his resume, and he's won everywhere he's been, and what a great coach, and this and that. And it's just the fact that you're going to that gig with those big shoes to fill where the expectations are so high that you're like, well, can he live up to expectations yeah, I, I think that he can to some degree. Now, should Alabama fans have to taper those a little bit? Yeah, but what does that what does that mean? That means ten and two rather than thir- or twelve and zero is is basically what that means, or eleven and one. I don't think they're going to have very much of a fall. I don't. I don't think they're suddenly going eight and four during the regular season. Maybe the first year because there's just a transition, but. I think that their dip is a dip that everybody else would love to just be as their standard. Yes. And so that's yes. that's how I kind of view it. I don't think that they're going to fall off much, uh, if at all. And, you know, if they do, then that's 
the side effects of losing the greatest coach the sport has ever seen. You know, that's not easy for anybody to go and, and jump in there. But, yeah, I think they'll be fine in the long run. And that's a, a home run hire, grand slam hire if you're Alabama. You couldn't have done much if at all any better. All right, Paul, you done? Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, Garrett, I just sent you an email. We've got about a minute or two, if that much. But uh, don't forget again tonight, 365 Sports tonight at 1030 on the local CW. Thanks to Emery Winter. Lover also, boy. hit the like button. Yeah, he is. We may never see him again. I, I'm just telling I mean, you. You know what happens. Here's, I'm going to tell you. Second, you got a second date. That's all I'll tell you. Oh, nice. He got a second date or she did? I mean, let's face it. She did. I mean, who's the winner in here? That chick. Chick. <laughs> that nice lady. That young woman. <laughs> yeah. Emery said to me earlier in the week, I will have not just one date with her, but multiple. Oh, well, it turns out he's right, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, he called a shot and he's... Shooting well so far. I, I mentioned the uh, the Joey Gillespie hire at Midway. How about this one? Todd Dodge, Hall of Famer, as successful a high school coach as it ever been in Texas. He's been in retirement for a couple of years after the great run at multiple schools, including South Lake Carroll, Austin Westlake College coach. He is about to be the new head football coach at Lovejoy, up at Lucas Lovejoy, a 5A school that's rolling. And so Todd Dodge nibbled around at other places throughout the, the last few weeks, ends up at Lovejoy. Their head coach is now a part of the staff with Kobe Carthel at SFA. All right, thanks to Jack McKenzie, Garrett Ross, also our great sponsors. Hit like and subscribe when you can. We appreciate you. Have a great weekend. We appreciate you being here. We are closing in on 1,000 shows of 365 Sports. Uh, I mean, we're going to have something about that here very soon. Paul Catalina, Craig Smoke, I'm David Smoke. Thank you very much for your time whenever you give it to us. Have a great weekend and good night. Ideal MRI is a small family business right here in Central